brought to you by the Game Reviews and the Unified Gamers Network. You're listening to Big Red Potion, the podcast that ends 2009 right. I'm your weird host, Joe D'Elia, TGR's Reviews Director. And this week, I am joined, as always, by my British friend, Sinan Kuba. How you doing, fella? Weird host, more like angry host. It's like you're ending I, 2009 I? in anger. Well, I'm kind of sick, so my angry voice and my weird voice are a little bit mixed up this week. But how are you doing today, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. And I, I, we should commend you for doing the show with a cold, which, uh, you know. I'll be good. It's a, good, it's good. a solid way to end 2009. Yeah, it is. I'll have some sniffles, but I'll be okay for the most part. So joining us this week is our Versus Node buddy from GamerNode.com. We have Eddie Inzato. Hey, hey. And I have to say, you just sound really enthusiastic. I wouldn't I call you angry or weird. You're an excellent, <laughs> excellent, enthusiastic host, which is just what we need. Thank you. I have my game show host voice on today. That's that's yeah. my that's my thing. It's Suck good. Up. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, someone's getting a present tonight. Also joining yes. us is Ninja Fat Pigeon and friend of the show, Zantiriad. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, not bad, not bad at all. Thanks for ha- having me yet again on your wonderful podcast. Absolutely, sir. Anytime. And in the last seat this week, although he is my special little boy, we have G4's own Jeffrey Madalev. How you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing excellent. Last Great. week was a bit rough. I was a bit sick for the holidays, but doing better now. And I just realized that this is the first time that Eddie and I have been on together, which is very That's- odd because he... He used to be my features editor before Sinan came through, and we hung out a lot at E3, all of us, so it's strange we kept missing each other until now. Due to, in fact, I think there were a couple of times we were supposed to have been on together, so looking Sinan forward I, to it. it. It seemed to be the cursed meeting, because Sinan and I had talked about this a couple of times, getting you two on the show, and every single time, a meteorite would strike one of our houses <laughs> and forbid it from happening. So finally, we're ending 2009 with the Jeffrey Madaleff, the Eddie and Zotto meeting on Big Red Potion, and I could not be happier. I'm actually kind mm-hmm. of nervous about it now. <laughs> well, we did have once on Gamer Node. He had me on their podcast one That time. does not count. It's it Big Red Potion. <laughs> is all the Sorry, Eddie, but... <laughs> I love count. Um, okay, so let's, let us get this started right. So today we're going to talk about our five favorite games of 2009, each of us. So we kind of put together a list before the show. We're going to each throw out each other's ideas, see who likes the best games, and in the end decide which is the best game of 2009, if we can all agree, which probably won't happen. That's the thing. It was a very last-minute decision, wasn't it, to actually just kind say of. we're going to make a game of the year, so I have no idea what's going to happen regards mm-hmm. that. Kind of five minutes before we started recording, but we're on the air now, that's what counts, and we are ready to go. This is the Triforce of Wisdom, Link. The evil wizard Ganon has the Triforce of Power. So to start off, we are going to talk about a game that was a bit of a surprise because it just came out last week. Jeff, why don't you tell us a little bit about Legend of Zelda Spirit Tracks? Okay, a couple months ago, if you'd asked me my game of the year, I would have said Uncharted 2. And that's going to be, be high on my list still. But right at the tail end of the year, Sphere Tracks came out, and it really took me by surprise. And it really shouldn't have, because this has happened before. And pretty much every time a new Zelda game comes out, I always think that I've outgrown the series, that you know I've gotten my t- taste as a, a critic and a journalist have become more refined, and that I'm going to look for something else, and then Nintendo's just up to the same tricks. But, but God help me, it was the most fun that I'd had with a game this year. It, 
Um, I mean, it basically it capitalized on 20 years worth of of good ideas from the series. It doesn't add very much new, and there is definitely uh, some backlash against it. I don't, I don't think it was scored as high as, as some previous Zeldas, because it doesn't really... It doesn't innovate very much. It just takes all the lessons learned, mostly from Phantom Hourglass, which has some really really interesting uh, uses of the touchscreen, the DS, and it took the art style from Wind Waker that I really liked, but that game had its own share problems, and it really takes the best of both worlds there. has some of the most difficult puzzles in the series. Um, one thing that I that I, I thought that, that, that the game did very well is in a lot of Zelda games, you get an item in a dungeon, you use that item, and or use it in, in that dungeon, and then you don't really use it that much again for the rest of the game. And this game fixes that. It really builds. Every item in your arsenal becomes invaluable the rest of the game. Mm. And, you know, to be fair, it does get off to a bit of a slow start. I wasn't that thrilled with it right away, but by the time I got into the second half and it just kept building and building, yeah, I, I think I say this without, without any spoilers, but the, the final boss of the game is four stages long, and each stage uses the top screen in a new way. And if that's not an epic finale to a game, I don't know what is. So, yeah, Spear Tracks is most fun I've had with the game with a game for a very long time. Now, you liked Phantom Hourglass quite a bit, right? Yeah, actually, I have to admit I've got quite a bit of, of Zelda fanboyish in my blood. But like I said, I keep thinking that I've not this year. You know, that, that, that's that's the old me because that's kind of right. like grew up playing. Um, but admittedly. Phantom Hourglass probably was my favorite DS game until Spirit Track, so I, I will fully admit my bias there. Hmm. So do you think, like, I didn't particularly care for Phantom Hourglass, do you think that I would get into Spirit Tracks? Um, that depends on what, what your issue was with Phantom Hourglass. I love Phantom Hourglass at the time, but having played Spirit Tracks, if I'd played them in the other order, I'm not sure I'd be nearly as high on, on Phantom Hourglass. So what, what was your issue with that one? Um, I did not like the stylus control for movement. I liked it for the actions and stuff. I did not like it for the movement as much. I didn't like the fact that I couldn't do accurate moves the way I wanted to. Um, the Temple of the Ocean King, I think it was called. <laughs> My god, I hated that more than anything else. It was a big, giant time Me drain. Too. It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. And... Um, I don't know. The the overworld to me just didn't seem as interesting. I didn't like the sailing because I didn't like it in, in uh, Wind Waker, so it didn't really do anything for me there. So I had a lot of problems with Phantom Hourglass, actually. Um, but I've heard a lot of great things about the new one, which is why I was kind of interested in it. Um, hmm. it, it fixes about half of those, I'd say. The The biggest improvement that is the Temple of the Ocean King. They have something very similar to that. It's the, uh, the okay. Spear Temple, where you go back to it after each dungeon. However... There's no time limit this time, so you don't have to, to worry about any of that. And um, also, you don't have to retread any old ground. You get to pick up right where you left off last time. Mm. And it's it's actually in that temple that has some of the series' best puzzles. That's It's only in those portions of the game that you get to use use Zelda to in, inhibit the bodies of the, of the phantoms, the, the guards that roam around. So it, it introduces some whole new whole new game mechanics to the series and it's very challenging. I, th- I thought it was some of the high, probably the highlight of the game actually. Hmm. Um, as far as the overworld goes, you probably won't be that enamored with the train. I actually didn't like the train that much at first. It, it grew. It, it, it really built upon itself by the end. I was really enjoying it more, but it, it, if you're not into having some kind of short breaks between the action, 
you you might not like that as much. Mm. Um, and what was your other criticism? Oh yeah, the stylus control. Um, you know, I had the same reaction initially to Phantom Hourglass. I didn't. I liked using the stylus for the items, but for movement, it was sort of a wash. But it's it's largely the same here. But I just thought that the items are so useful that I I got past past that very quickly. Um, rolling is a bit easier too. You double tap rather than do that that circle thing. So it's a little more refined. But if you really hated it, I'm not sure that it's gonna change your mind drastically. Right, I got you. I mean, I, I, you know, like Joe, I probably represent a group of cynics who haven't yet played the game, and so you know, we can't necessarily say all that much. But I mean, I, I, I shared some of the criticisms Joe had with Phantom Hourglass. But for me, the thing was, if you take away the touchscreen controls, it was just basic Zelda. You know, just on the handheld, it was very much uh, no, nothing really new added to to the game. And uh, again, because it's a continuation of Wind Waker, like the art style doesn't quite win me. It didn't win me over as much as it did on the on the GameCube. And you know, I just get worried that when the first thing you mentioned, Jeffrey, was something to do with items in dungeons, and I just something that's the kind of intricacies which worries me. Like you know, from iteration to iteration with Nintendo games that you know, people get sucked up on, and to me, like, I'm just worried I'm going to play it and be thinking, this is the same old Zelda, and yes, it's good, but it's nothing new. Yeah, there's, there are people who, who feel that way, uh, Corvus Elrod and I got in a, a pretty lively debate about it, and we might, um, actually, Michael Abbott approached me about writing an article about, about Zelda, because of how much we both liked it, and Corvus is going to represent the, the counterpoint to that, so that's definitely one way of looking at it. Um, actually, my next I hope I'm not someone to be too much. My next challenging conventions article is going to be about the pros and cons of of them doing the Zelda this way. Basically, thegamereviews.com. Yes, at thegamereviews.com. <laughs> it's my bi weekly article that Sinan makes some sense out of and edits. So, um, but yeah, it, it's I I can definitely see it being very divisive because of how how little new that it does. And a lot of me feels like they they've kind of taken the formula as far as it'll go. Now I want to see something else, but but for that formula, I was surprised at how how much it still worked for me. And you know, again, how much of a refined way. Let me put it this way, actually. I know Sinan, you were very high on Mario Galaxy a couple years ago, and I'd yes. say that this is for Zelda what Mario Galaxy was for for that series. Wow. So, well, now this is the first time I'm genuinely interested in the game is after that statement. <laughs> So That's a go. pretty incredible statement, actually. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I felt that they were very similar. Well, okay, actually, I'd say Mario probably innovated a little bit more, especially mm-hmm. the, the uh, I really like being able to use the pointer to control certain aspects of the game while you're playing. So I, I guess that game had a little bit more originality. But in terms of basically being a refinement on earlier iterations without um, drastically changing things, I'd say in that regard, it's, it's similar that way. Well, there we go. All right, Phantom. Uh, oh no, Spear Tracks. Oh, See, it's Freudian slip. Freudian slip. Okay, well, Spear Tracks then. Very good, according to Jeff Madeleff. Another DS game kind of caught one of our eyes this year, Mister Sedan Kuba. You would like to talk to us about Rhythm Heaven slash Paradise, right? Yes, Rhythm is. I get mixed up. It's heaven over here, is it? No, it's paradise it's over heaven here, here. Yes. and heaven over there, and Tenguku Gold in Japan. Yes, yes. Um, this this title for me came out of nowhere. I was 
I didn't really like the uh, the the Game Boy. I can't remember the specific name, but the Game Boy Advance version of this game. It just didn't really do much for me. Um, and then picked this up, and it's just. I, I love rhythm games. I love games that advance uh, the controls on the DS and take it into a new direction. And for me, Rhythm Paradise did both of those things exemplar into an exemplary standard. It's just one of the most simplest games to pick up and play. Uh, one of the most quirky in terms of music, visuals, just all these really strange mini games with really, really unique and yet simple graphics. Uh, and the simplicity of the controls just can't be commended enough. It's just a, a beautiful little game. Okay, it, it's one major problem is that it gets very hard <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> Um, yeah. I, I think that you know maybe hurt it a little bit in the in the long run, uh, but otherwise, I mean, apart from that, it's still one of the most you know people talk about Scribblenauts this year and other and uh, about Demon Souls and whatever. These really different, unusual games. Like I still think Riven Paradise is one of the most unique unique games this year. Well, I don't think anyone would argue with that. Um... I enjoyed Rhythm Paradise a lot. I think it actually took the some of the quirkiness of the WarioWare formula and applied it to something totally different, and I totally respect them for that. And um, The only thing I didn't really dig that much was the whole sliding mechanic. I okay. thought at times it was a bit too iffy on that. I must admit, like at, at times, some you know you feel like you have done it and it, and it doesn't come through, or uh, right. and sometimes you feel like you really have to put a lot of effort into it. Um, but I think, in fairness, that's maybe more a limitation of the of the hardware. Than, right. than than the, the game itself, and I think uh, what was I saying? Yeah, once you do get used to it, it 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 didn't really bother me anywhere. I mean, it, it, I can understand what it, it bothering other people, but I still think in terms of you know we've had a lot of rhythm games this year. We've had a lot of uh, interesting DS games this year, but I I think uh, Rhythm Paradise has kind of got overlooked, maybe because Nintendo pushed a lot with it actually. And mm-hmm. uh, and and another thing someone uh, brought up, which I thought was kind of interesting on Twitter, uh, actually Stephen Modia, one of our previous guests, um, he said that uh, because you know it got handed out for free at the uh, the game developers conference at the end of the speech, um, that it might have been a bit overlooked by the press. Right. I don't know. I picked it up and played it around about the same time you did, uh, Sinan, and I kind of echo your thoughts on on the difficulty, but. Um, I actually found it quite confusing to play. I know it is very simple, but I didn't think the game did a very, didn't actually work that well in explaining what you were supposed to do. Um, sometimes it's quite confusing whether you're supposed to swipe or tap or, or do you want. And I, I tried. I thought it was going to be one of those games that I could um, sort of pass to people that don't play games very much. You know, like my mother or something. And um, most of the people whose nose I put it underneath just didn't have a clue what they were doing with it. So I think that that was part of the problem because on TV it was marketed very much along the lines of, you know, this is something that everyone can play. But within five minutes of playing that game, it was uh, almost impossible. I mean, I I couldn't get very far into it at all. I I think I can I can I'm on reflection. I remember at the time we kind of disagreed on this. I, I can kind of understand where you're coming from and that it, it sort of does this tutorial video. And you think, okay, now I get the basics of what to do in this game. Then it throws something a bit different in there. And it's like, oh, how do I actually deal with this? Um, and it does that pretty much at every single of the, of the mini games. But mm. maybe it's just me. And I think, you know, it's my game. <laughs> it's my list. So I'm going to be subjective about it. I didn't, it didn't bother me so much. Um, and I actually like the challenge of kind of having to think on my feet about what I should, what I should do with the controls. And uh, I, I don't know. Um, at the same time, you know, I did give it to my girlfriend, and she did have a few of the problems you're mentioning, Zan. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's something in that. 
Well, I gave it to my girlfriend, and all she did was play the first level over and over, the level where you have to be a choir boy, and when you swipe <laughs> the controller, the guy screams, and the other two guys stare at him with uh, his face. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Gave her that. <laughs> she did that for about 10 or 20 minutes and giggled hysterically the entire time. So in that regard, it worked very well. All right, so let's move on to the DLC games that, that some of us have picked. We got uh, four unique choices here. Uh, let's go to you first, Anne. Why is BitTrip Beat, a game that Sanan and I both talked about on our indie show about uh, a couple months ago, why is BitTrip Beat one of your favorite games in 2009? Well, I, I think the Wii, and WiiWare in particular, has had a really good year. I think it's, for, to my mind, WiiWare has probably been the strongest platform for downloadable games this year with things like Swords and Soldiers and, and the BitTrip series. And it really kind of wraps up in one game what, what is making those games kind of unique and enjoyable. They tend to be, a lot of the indie games that have made their way onto, onto WiiWare tend to be um, quite focused, um, a bit similar really to um, Rhythm Paradise um, with simplistic controls but have a lot of depth uh, and the thing I really loved about um, BitTrip Beat in particular is it's it really was a kind of homage or a love letter really to, to classic 8-bit games, but mixed in to a much more contemporary modern game. Mm. Um, and added to that, it just had a fantastic soundtrack. I've actually I've actually got the soundtrack from from the first two BitTrip games because I just I love it. I mean that sort of chip tunes really score with me. Um, I just found the whole thing, although again very difficult. Um, once you get past that first uh, first world, um, I just found it immensely enjoyable, and it just it just sums up the the joy of that WiiWare has been this year, really. Wow, yeah, I I thought it was very clever how they took Pong, which is essentially the simplest thing you could possibly ever program into a game, and actually made it into a, a unique and engaging game experience in 2009. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it, it kind of yeah, it's it's brought um, what were you know they're kind of like the old Atari. I can't remember which system it was, though. You guys probably know. Um, that's the kind of Atari games back to in a, a modern contemporary setting, really. And, they, and they've done that with all three games in the series now. You um, played the other two? I've, I've, yeah, I have. I've played the other two. I didn't like them as much as Bitrip Beat, though. That was that was my favourite. and uh, still is. But I'm, I know that Sinan is a lot better at it than me. I think, Sinan, you actually sat down and did the whole lot, didn't you? I haven't, actually. Um, it was it was uh, one of our previous guests, uh, Jack Smith of Weeds, who, who finished the third level uh, eventually. Right. I'm still... I, I, I have actually. I went back to it last month, and I got so close to the end of the third level, but uh, I haven't. I haven't yet done it. I mean, that's the thing I was going to ask you, Zan, is like because I, I haven't yet played Bitrip Core or Bitrip Void, the two following games, but uh, they seem to get similar reviews. So I was kind of surprised when we organised this that you didn't just say Bitrip series. Um, well, I could do that, but I've, for, for this series in particular, I think the first game is has got, in many ways, has got the most ideas in it. Um, and all they've really done is just adapted those ideas and sort of put them into a slightly different genre in each of the following games. Right. Um, I, I, to me, that the first one was the one that kind of scored the home run, and then the games since then have been good as well. You know, they've been the same level of quality. Um, but as I said, WiiWare itself has, has had a fantastic year. I mean, uh, Orbion was another game which could easily have gone in in, in its place, which is another one that was very simplistic. Um, the new Lost Winds game has got very good reviews. Right. Yeah, Lost Winds. And I said, um, Swords and Soldiers is probably the best RTS on, on any console. Um, again, oh. largely overlooked because of the platform it's on, unfortunately. But um, brilliantly funny. Um, 
uh, as I, I mentioned in a, in a blog post recently, UK listeners will know, know of Hagar the Horrible, but it's basically Hagar the Horrible, Horrible the game, and it's just it's just fantastic. <laughs> wow. Well, for six bucks, you can't really go wrong with Bitrip Beat. Or they're all actually all three of the games are six bucks each, which is a pretty fantastic value. So uh, I would recommend anyone with a Wii give those a shot if you can get it online, of course. There's a little something for everyone. Serious analysis of Big Red Potion to the firm but well-informed Gamerdork UK. Gamerdork, 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 Gamerdork. Find like-minded comment. Keep your hobby alive. Gaming bargains to help keep your hobby alive. Was one of the best and friendliest communities on the internet. And if you're one of us mature gamers, find like-minded comment. All right, so I guess I'll go next with my choice. Um, I chose Shadow Complex as one of my top five. I'm the only one who did. And I, I know, of course, that it's, it's highly, highly influenced by games of the past like Super Metroid and Castlevania Symphony of the Night. But I think the way that everything came together in Shadow Complex is what brought me into the whole thing. I, I, liked, the, uh, I liked the base. I liked the setting of the characters. And I, no, the story was crap, don't get me wrong. But I liked the way that it adapted all of these, uh, you know, sci fi slash old school concepts from Castlevania and Metroid and put them into a modern day setting. They gave you some pretty cool weapons, even though most of them are adapted from Metroid and, and Castlevania, but put them into a unique uh, setting and gave you some pretty cool puzzles. I liked the way that the map was built uh, to make you constantly find new things, discover new secrets. I like how they tell you where the secrets are, unlike Metroid where you have to kind of figure it out yourself. This game, they tell you where the secrets are, so you kind of know where to look, and you, you kind of sit there for 10 minutes and think, hmm, how can I use my weapons that I have to, to find a way into this secret room and get this power-up that's there? Um, and despite it being you know a $15 game, I put, I think, about 12 or 13 hours into 100%ing that game and enjoyed every last second of it. Um, so yeah, even though you know it's, it's definitely something similar to games I played in the past, I think that the way everything was combined in Shadow Complex is uh, is what made me enjoy it as much as I did. And I think Jeff has something to say to me about this. Yeah, I was really excited for Shadow Complex, actually. In fact, I, I was with Joe at E3 when I first demoed it, it was, and we were, we were both very excited about it at the time. And You more than it, me, actually. I was kind of indifferent about it at E3. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm a big fan of Metroid and, and the, the later Castlevania games. And, you know, I'm a the, the 2D on 3D thing looked very impressive. It demoed very, very well. Mm. Uh, then the game actually came out, and, well, for one thing, you know, the story is absolute crap. Sure. And it's some of the, the worst writing I've played in the game in a long time. But even that I could overlook if it was just fun. Mm. And, it, it, you know, it was moment to moment it was okay, but I think the, the highlight of any Metroid, any Metroid game and some of the Castlevania games is discovering the secrets. And Shadow Complex, to me, really dropped the ball on that. Because there are a lot of secrets, but it tells you where they are, and most of them, a vast majority of them, take no intuitive thinking to find. You shine your flashlight on a wall, and it's red, and you know that you need the, 
this specific item to, to break that barrier. And then you just have to backtrack your way there. Granted, I didn't find 100%. I'm sure there must have been at least a few that were a little bit more interesting to discover, took a little bit more ingenuity. But for the most part, it just felt like very lazy design. Um, furthermore, I didn't think the combat was very good. I thought that also felt a bit lazy with auto-aiming. And I could never quite wrap my, my mind around the 2D, 3D thing with where sometimes the Z-axis would matter and you could take cover um, behind something in the foreground, the background, excuse me. I, I expect more from from the Metroid template and a little bit more. I wanted it to require a little bit more creative thinking than just running from point A to point B. We'll see. Uh, Jeff, did you play Metroid Fusion on GBA? Uh, yes, yes, I did. Okay, because that game to me, I thought, did it, went too far with that whole, hey, you get to discover the secrets thing. I remember there were walls in that game that they gave you no hint whatsoever that you could destroy them. You just kind of had to know that there was a secret passageway through that wall. And there was a couple of times in that game where I was left completely flabbergasted by what I had to do next, which is something that Shadow Complex, yes, it does hold your hand a little bit in that regard, but you said you didn't get 100%. The, the last maybe 15 for me, the last 15 items that I had to collect were really tough to find. Like, they gave you the general area, they give you a question mark, and you know it's somewhere within maybe two to three screens around that question mark. But actually figuring out the way to get within the wall or to get underneath something, it, it always took a lot of thought, and it always took complete understanding of every ability that your weapons had, or even combining multiple abilities into one uh, sl- you know, slick move, basically, to get behind what you had to get through. Um, and I think 100% of that game, to me, was even more entertaining than actually beating the main story itself. I enjoyed looking for all these little things. Whereas Metroid, I've never 100%ed one of those games. I, I-, I found it a bit... Um, Kind of like a. I, by the time I was deep in that search, I didn't really want to go all the way with it, especially in Metroid Prime Three, where they make you get those batteries at the end um, after you've done several missions. Make you go back and get all these batteries to get to the last boss. I thought that was a frustrating decision, and I hated it. Um, in a way, I think Shadow Complex made it a bit more user friendly, um, not as difficult, which is good or bad depending on your opinion. But I think it was way more. Um, enjoyable to get everything in that game than it was in, say, a Metroid. Well, I I haven't played Shadow Complex other than just the demo, but when you said there are all these secrets that they tell you where they are, to me, I just thought, well, those aren't secrets. And I thought back to other games where maybe there are no clues and you sort of stumble upon secrets. Even back some of the Metroid games or one that just popped into my head was the original Donkey Kong Country. You would Mm, fall down a hole and suddenly there was a blast barrel there and you found this whole new area. Or you dropped a barrel and hit a wall and it, it opened up. And there was no way to tell. And I find that, that that surprising discovery of all the secrets in the game is really a big part of the joy in games where there are a lot of secrets. So, again, I haven't played through Shadow Complex, so I can't really have a say on that. But it just sounds like um, I would rather see it uh, more like the the metroid games where there there are less clues that's the thing i mean i think calling them secrets in shadow complex is a misnomer but i don't think it necessarily actually means it's a bad thing what they are i i i got great enjoyment about finding them because it it taps into that whole collective collection side the whole part of me which you know went around the whole of crackdown and got all 500 orbs for no discernible reason (laughs) um you know and uh for me like I kind of saw it as Metroidvania for dummies, for better or for worse. Right. You know, it was, it, 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 you know, it, it just kind of had 
that feeling of it like you didn't need to really have played a single Metroid or Castlevania game to, to understand what to do in this game. And yet it had all the themes and all the kind of stylistics of a of a Metroidvania game. So I, I almost feel like if you wanted to introduce someone to, to you know, the Metroid games, the Castlevania games, this Shadow Complex would be a good starting point. The other thing sure. I wanted to say, which I thought was interesting, is that I played it at the same time as playing Trials HD. And for me, it was the perfect antithesis to that game because Trials HD was one of the best. But and I, I'm surprised I didn't that no one included in this list. I was thinking about including this list, but it was one of the best downloadable games of last year. But it was also one of the most incredibly frustrating and difficult and annoying. Um, and then Shadow Complex was this nice, simple thing, and they were both around the same time. And it was this kind of nice balance, which I really appreciated at the time. So yeah, I just want to add to it, Joe. Saying I, I do agree with you that I I like it when when secrets aren't 100 percent arbitrary. If it's just like an invisible wall or a lava pit you can fall through. I think that's right. kind of lazy design. And I, I will buy your argument about how the last maybe 15% do sound really interesting to find. So maybe someday I would go back and, and get those. But it seemed like there was just a lot a lot of busy work you had to go through to get to the, the real mm. meat of the game that would require that sort of thinking for me. So that is fair. fair. That is fair. Um, all right. So that is Shadow Complex. Sinan, the Ballad of Gay Tony made your list. I know, and I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised myself that <laughs> it made the list. Um, I just think we don't give enough credit to Rockstar for their writing in games. And I feel like if, if you sit back and ignore some of the same persistent problems with Grand Theft Auto 4 that's there in, in, in Gay Tony, if you can put that to one side and just go, I know they're there. They are kind of frustrating. They could have done some work on on things like you know aiming and the whole sort of getting stuck to walls and all that nonsense. And that 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 is kind of annoying. If you focus on the writing on the, on the Battle of the Gate Tony, it is like a real natural progression from some of the good writing in, in Grand Theft Auto Four. And it's got two of them, two of the most. What's the, I want to find a better word than realistic, but most grounded kind of convincing characters that I've seen in video games this year in, in Luis Lopez and, and uh, Tony Prince and I just think if you can focus on that side it really deserves to make the list because uh, I, I do think when they nail it Rockstar are fantastic script, script writers So to you it's more about the story than it is about yeah. any of the gameplay Yeah I mean I, I, the thing is there are great bits in the gameplay don't get me wrong in terms of like the, the scale and the ridiculous novel of it, you know, like I think we when we talked about it on the show, I mentioned you you steal a train carriage, <laughs> you know, uh, for this for this Arab uh, businessman, and that you know it's funny and it's ridiculous and it's silly and it's kind of got that whole Grand Theft Auto three aspect to it. But I think that detracts from actually some really uh, interesting uh, interplay between two characters. And like we talked on the show previously, like the, this unusual relationship between a, a gay character and a straight character where there's no real sort of weirdness about it. It's just purely platonic and it's, it's really well written. That's that's all there is to it. I tell you, I mean, the loss in the dam came and went. I really had no interest in going back for it, but I'm, I'm pretty interested in playing the Ballad of Gay Tony, especially after everything you said about it, because it sounds like a really fun, interesting story, even if I have to kind of jump through the GTA 4 hoops again, which I didn't really enjoy the first time around. I'm much in the same boat. wasn't a big GTA 4 fan, but I'm very curious about the, the episodic content. I've, I've got a kind of a third party comment I mean I haven't played it so I feel a bit uneasy talking about it um, it's, it's on my kind of pile of shame I bought both of the GTA DLCs and then just never got around to playing them but I've got a, a very good friend of mine who, who, who's gay and, and 
uh, obviously played it, and I was chatting to him about it quite recently, and he was quite disappointed with it actually with the writing because he felt that the they they didn't go they weren't brave enough with mm. the question of homosexuality that they are with other um, certainly you know the writers have been with other things in the GTA universe you know the other things that they've been satirical about he felt that they they kind of chickened out and they didn't they didn't take on gay satire if you like. Mm. Which is what he was expecting them to do, and he's quite disappointed with that aspect of it. And and as I said, this is a comment I'm passing on. But you know, I I you know I can I can not having played it, but judging from your groans in and it's probably it's probably sounds like it's a fair comment. It is. It's absolutely a fair comment. I think the what I would have what I'd say to him if we were having the conversation is that you've got to remember where gaming is. Um, mm. For gaming, it's it's a strong you know political. Uh, commentary and and you know they do have these moments where uh, where uh, Tony's accomplice Luis gets all this stick for you know working for a gay gay guy and uh, you know gets lots right. of insinuations and they do handle that well but as as I think your friend's absolutely right they could have done more and I I just think you know we when we talked about this last week with not last week two weeks ago with uh, with uh, Flynn DeMarco and with Jared Newman uh, about about sexuality and it's just like gaming's not there to do it like justice yet this is it's a very good effort but it could have been better but for <laughs> it's difficult that kind of sort of means where i'm coming from it in some ways but i think that's you kind of have to remember where gaming is and for where gaming is it's a really important game so rockstar gets a gold star pretty much yeah gold star for effort maybe not okay. uh, not full marks for execution all right then fair enough Um, Xantiriad, another downloadable title for you, Battlefield 1943. Yes, um, probably, I think, uh, I think when we talked about it pre-show, you were quite surprised I picked this one. Sure. Um, there's two, two reasons for it, really. Um, the first is that one of the things I've done over the sort of past three or four years, uh, as a Ninja Fat Pigeon and, and, uh, as a kind of ambassador amongst, uh, lots of other sort of, uh, gaming groups is, is hold competitions and tournaments, like friendly ones between different, different sites, different websites, like we've had some between some of the UGN sites. And, um, one of the biggest problems you have when you're trying to organize those sort of competitions is, is actually having enough people with the game to actually play it. Um, and with the exception of things like Modern Warfare or maybe Gears of War, most people buy a game. They'll play it for two or three weeks, and then they'll trade it in. Which right. means, if you wanted to have a, for some reason, uh, an eight-player perfect dark tournament, you can't do it because most people have got rid of it. Okay, everyone in the pigeons has it, but that's that's an example. What um, I think we've a lot of people have been crying out for for many years is um, certainly for the last two or three years, is something on Xbox Live or PSN or, or where it happens to be. Um, that is a, a multiplayer game that everyone can play, that you can download at a reasonable price, that's a good enough quality to, to kind of stand up against the modern warfares and that, and it's ilk. And I think with um, Battlefield 1943, DICE hit the nail squarely on the head in that they, okay, they recycled some of their old um, assets, some of their old maps and some of their, their, their technology, but I just thought it was a, an incredibly good game considering that it was effectively another cheap downloadable title and not only that um one of the things that has been driving me away from shooters really um particularly the last sort of year and a half two years has been this 
gradual increase in complexity. Um, particularly things like you know modern warfare is thrown in leveling and perks and god knows what else you know everything bar the kitchen sink really um left for dead 2 again i know we can talk about that a bit later but i think that's added a lot of stuff that it didn't need and what i really liked about battlefield 1943 is it took away a lot of that stuff it really simplified the class system it just made it really easy to play and so you could just flick on your box boot it up and you were there and you were playing and it was just immense fun and uh I, just for me, for me actually, it was probably the best first-person shooter of the year, which is a controversial oh. statement, but you know that's 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 how I found it. I just found it a hell of a lot of fun. Well, they seem to distill pretty much everything in Battlefield. I think that's the problem with a lot of multiplayer shooters these days. They've kind of been pushing things farther and farther as far as complexity goes. But Battlefield is pretty much just you know here's the th- three or four best maps, here's the three or four best classes, here's everything else. Just jump in the game and play and go. And I appreciated the simplicity of that, and I was able to jump in and enjoy it right away. Whereas some other shooters, like I tried playing Battlefield Bad Company this year online, and I got my ass kicked pretty much. Yeah, I think they've got the the balance in it spot on. You know. Uh, Mm. you can i mean i'm I'm useless at i mean you must you know i'm useless at first person shooters but i'm dead handy with a tank you know so mm. um they've they put enough elements into that game so that even if you're not good at one particular thing there probably is something else that you feel more confident in doing and it it just felt like a very well balanced well designed well implemented game and it's you know it's 12 quid or i don't know for you guys probably 15 bucks you know That's amazing good. amazing value for money really was Right, and I, I honestly have a feeling we're going to see a lot more shooters like this. I actually heard about one the other day, a Wild West-themed one coming to Xbox Live and PSN next year. That sounds pretty cool. Um, but it doesn't really sound like a bad idea. Downloadable first-person online shooters. That's pretty cool. Um, so that's it. It's kind of surprising to me, at least, that we have four different DLC games on the, the best of the year list, but that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Well, I think there's been a lot of really strong DLC titles that we've not mentioned for one reason or another, you know, just to five of us of our picks. Like, we, there are a lot of great PlayStation 3 titles, uh, mm. Shatter, Trina eventually, sure. which starts on PC, uh, Fat Princess, um, you look Explosion at these, Man. On. Explosion Man, of course. Um, like we, we briefly mentioned, Trials HD. You go to the PC and Steam has had so many things, like uh, The Path and... Uh, uh, right. just I, We could go on, honestly, like Machinarium. There are so many, so many great titles, and I think, I'm, oh, sorry, sorry. I was going to say, honestly, Peggle almost made my list this year. Eddie? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I second Eddie's Don't forget there. that Braid came out on uh, PSN this year, too. <laughs> God. I don't know. Peggle's more important. Um, but yeah, kind of the, the great year for DLC in, uh, in many ways. And all three consoles and the PC have all had a... And even the DSi. I mean, the DSi has been getting some really cool... Um, uh, the art style games. Right, have been really strong on that service, and I'm I'm looking forward to getting a DSI pretty much only to play those games. And like like Zan, like Zan said, uh, you know, it's not just um, it's not just 360 or PS3. WiiWare's had such a great year. It's, it's been right. strong across the board, which has been, mm-hmm. I think, it's you know, for anyone who's been kind of cynical about it over the last couple of years, DLC is here. It's here to stay, <laughs> and people love it. I'm into that. It's One of the best just... strategy games of the year was a downloadable title, Plants vs Zombies. Yeah. You guys play that? Yeah. Made my list. And yeah. and I'm not a big PopCap fan, as you know from Peggle. <laughs> uh, it's also worth remembering it's a watershed year for downloadable titles as well, because you've now got a platform that is only downloadable. I know it's you know kind of been a flop, but the PSP Go <laughs> is a it's a kind of watershed moment really for the industry in that that you know the focus there is True. purely on downloadable games. Right. 
and obviously that's the building blocks for what our next consoles are going to be which is all downloads for the most part or at least so I would think anyway So let's move on to the couple of surprises that the guys picked for this week's show. We have a couple of really interesting choices here. I think that's kind of cool. Um, Jeffster, why don't you tell us about Silent Hill Shattered Memories? Okay. Uh, Got a big red question. Read Joe's review of Silent Hill Shattered Memories. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Silent Hill, I, I have to say I'm not the biggest fan of the series. I've, I've always found them interesting, but not very much fun to play. I just... You know, I liked the aesthetics, the music, the stories, the the you know the metaphors, and just finding all the articles and piecing together what's going on. But I always found just all all the fetch quests and running from enemies and uh, managing health potions and that sort of thing just really tedious. And it's I, I felt like you know the games would go on for 15 hours, and there's really only about three hours worth of stuff that I was really that interested in. And this one fixes almost every problem that I had with the earlier games in the series. Mm. There's there's no combat. There is running from enemies, but that only occurs in you know for better or worse, it occurs in very um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, <laughs> Very select situations that happen. Yeah, yeah, very select situations. That, thank you. Um, it doesn't really impede upon explorations. You don't have to worry about solving a puzzle while you're being chased by enemies. Right. You can just explore at your own leisure. And some people have crit- criticized it for that because it's not scary at every moment. You're not generally in danger of a monster popping out. You know when when you have entered um, an escape sequence because the world goes all icy and it looks very surreal and mm. it lo- looks very different than the rest of the game. But aside from it, it ruining the tension, it, it fits the story to, for it to be happening that way. But also, I like that most of the game is just just exploration. And right. it, there isn't even that much... Um, it's a very linear game. I mean, by exploration, I mean just looking at posters. And you have a, a cell phone in the game. You can call numbers that you see on posters all over the game, or on graffiti, you know, sketched into a bathroom door. Mm. And you can, you can call it, and you'll get some interesting response to it. Okay, well, let me back up a bit. The structure of the game is that it's it's told in a flashback by you being in a, a psychiatrist's office. And he asks you how you feel about certain things, like if you enjoy role-play during sex or if you believe in, in love, or he'll show you some images and ask if, some like Rorschach splatter images, and ask if you think that they look sexual in nature or not. And I have no idea how my responses influence the game, and some people have criticized that they don't influence it a huge amount. But I kind of like looking at what, you know, even if it just affects very small details, what is the meaning behind those details? Why do they change that little, you know, the, that audio bite? Why does this character right. sound frustrated now than they did before? What, and I, I don't know. I'm not able to make these binary connections. So in terms of offering a very rich narrative experience. I think it did it better than any game that I've played this year. Mm. And I, I really look forward to going back and, and checking it out again. And I think it, it basically, it just, it trims the fat out of everything that I didn't like about earlier Silent Hill games. 
I think the older ones always had a focus on story. The problem is that, you know, the, the running away from monsters would get in the way, the, the action would get in the way, the gunplay would get in the way. It was always kind of like, you know, the reason I played those games was for the stories. It wasn't for the action or anything like that. It was for the, you know, the stories, the imagery, the, the characters, that kind of thing. Uh, and this game pretty much just cuts all the other stuff out and makes it completely about the stories and the characters. And I think that's a really great thing. And one thing I really liked about it, Jeff mentioned the phone calls you can make. You pretty much get these mini stories as you play through the game. They'll appear on your cell phone. You'll get text messages from unknown places. You'll get voicemails you can listen to. There's a whole bunch of mini stories that you kind of get um, as you play. And each new location you go into has all another set of mini stories. Like you'll hear about – when you go into school, you'll hear some of the students' voicemails and kind of get an idea of what other people in that school were doing. And there's so much of that in this game that – I feel it really did a great job of defining the world and giving you an idea of what was going on in this creepy town. And I think the way that the main character's arc goes, um, of course, is mostly dependent on your choices that you make through the game. But I still think that the way that they, they form that arc, especially the way that they play off the knowledge that some people have of the first game, like they totally throw a bunch of hints your way. If you, if you know the first game, if you know the third game, which links very much to the first game, if you're familiar with those two, this game will you know kind of play into that and totally, you know, twist your mind when you think you know what's going on. It will turn you the other way and say, guess what? Nope, we did something different here, and now you're going to get to see it. Um, and as a longtime fan, even though some of the changes, as I said in my review, uh, I didn't like as much, I think that this is the exact direction that this series is. It, it honestly is the direction the series should have been going since the beginning. And uh, it made my top five list as well, because I really am excited to think that this is where the series will go, even though I honestly have a feeling that this will probably be the only one of this type. But if they did make another one, I think it would be incredible. And I, I, I actually have to be sort of the opponent to <laughs> Silent Hill because um, there were a lot of things that they added and changed that were welcome, like combat being taken out right. and, and all the neat little ways you manipulated the um, the Wiimote and using the cell phone was very cool. But I feel like the whole psych evaluation thing how they push that to be such a big part of the game is almost a veneer for the fact that the the writing to me didn't seem to delve deeply into the psychological issues that plagued the characters of the older games and i found that the game was a lot less lighter um than other ones because it it was just it was far less deranged in the way it was presented, sure. and it still lacked that like that Silent Hill magic. Like something about Silent Hill just puts you in a different place when you're playing the game that no other game really has. It's ground that no other game has tread, and this one really doesn't seem like a return to form yet. I don't know if I'm just jaded on the Silent Hill series or maybe I'm like an old dog you can't teach new tricks with this in this particular um aspect of my gaming uh preference but I I am not a huge fan of any of the games that have been outsourced by Konami right cuz I I just don't think that they handle that type of horror as well and um the the control in this game while the older games have always struggled with control and being actually fun to play as opposed to watch. I found it to be very unwieldy just to 
run around the world and explore. Um, the snow to me is not as affecting as the change to you know the other world of Silent Hill, and even those dream sequences. Um, it's it's cool that they've separated them, but it does remove all the tension from exploring the world. So you know you're just wandering around an empty nothing of a place until it changes to the dream sequence. And those are just, okay, I have to run to the end. I don't know if that's a, a, a narrow perspective on the game, but I was unable to really get into it like I could the older games. It's funny, you said that you found the controls on a wheel lead, which is exactly how I felt about the old Silent Hill games, so... Oh yeah, they were too. <laughs> the, one, the one question I have is, uh, you know, this is we only title. Like, what this, has, has there been any news of the sales? Uh, you know, actually, it's just Twitter on Twitter uh, before we did this, and uh, Andrew Grown linked to some article. It's not selling very well. That's that's so, my concern. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very concerned about that as well because I, you know, like I said, I, I think they did this better than the original Team Silent, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. Oh, that hurts my heart. Sorry, Eddie. I, I'm, I yeah, I'm really... not. Well, I think we came at it from different angles because you are an old fan of the series. Yeah. And I, I was. Yeah. I want nothing more than the old Team Silent to come back and take the reins on all the new Silent Hill games, if there are any more. Play Siren Blood Curse. That's. I think that was done by them. It was not as good. <laughs> yeah. As good. Play the path. That's an interesting horror title this year. Yes. I, I played the demo it. and it was very interesting. I have no idea what was going on, but I, I will eventually <laughs> get to it. Zan, take this a different way. Talk about DJ Hero. Right. Um... I want to defend DJ Hero first before I say why I really like it. Um, I think it's had a really bad press for a number of reasons. Um, Well, firstly, there's a lot of anti-Activision sentiment out there. Um, The insert hero brand is is damaged beyond all repair, I think. And obviously, it came out with um, a really high price point. And bizarrely all the marketing that they put out was kind of pushing the Eminem Jay-Z angle, which if once you've played the game, you realize there's nothing to do with game whatsoever. In fact, they, they make up like 5% of the entire game. So weird marketing, sh- stupid price point, bad uh, reputation for the hero brand. Everybody hating Activision. It, it was on to a loser from the start, but I think um, when you hear the story of how the game came about and where it comes from, it's a, com- it, it, it's a completely different thing. Um, freestyle games are were formed from ex codemasters and rare people. Um, they um, developed the game nearly two years ago um, and and spent a lot of time refining the engine and, and actually designing the mechanics of the game. Um, and also spent a hell of a lot of time actually creating the music, which is something which you can't say for many of the other other action games. Um, and then they were due to, I think, have the game published under a different name of Sierra. And then Activision came on along, bought Sierra, and obviously uh, as part of that acquisition, they also picked up Freestyle Games. They then planted their hero brand on it, and, and the rest, is, as they say, is history. Uh, and it was Activision, of course, that put in the stupid 
um, sort of duets, I suppose, that you can do in it with with a guitar, because again, they wanted to tie it into the Guitar Hero brand. Um, but if you ignore all that and you just take the game at face value as to what it is, it is for me anyway. I feel it has really rebooted the the rhythm action game or the music action game. Not only did it introduce new controls, it also introduced a completely new way of actually using music in games. In that, it took completely different musical styles, completely different uh, pieces of music from different artists, different genres, different different backgrounds, and created what I think there's something like a hundred mashup songs in the game, completely unique the majority of them, and then used that to actually bring to life um, the the whole DJ uh, mechanics of the games. Um, and together with um, the, the peripheral, which again, most people laughed at when they first saw it, they actually create a fairly decent facsimile of DJ. I've done a tiny little bit in my past. Um, but more importantly, they made it a really, really fun and engaging game. Something which, for me, the guitar games or the drum games have become really stale. They just basically rehash the same thing over and over again. But this was something unique and new, and I think it works It works brilliantly. Um, whether you like the music or not. And I, I can't say how people can say they don't like the music, because there is every type of musical style in the game possible. So I'm ready now for everyone to tell me how, how wrong it is. <laughs> No, no, I agree that it's um, it's definitely refreshing because while maybe DJing isn't quite as glamorous as getting up on stage and being a rock star, I think that there may have been something missing there for people who were just into a different kind of music or wanted to try something new, especially after how many sequels with the same basic gameplay. So I've only demoed it at the store, right. but... It was fun, and the music was very different. You know? I think that's the problem, you know, uh, not just in terms of this conversation, but in terms of what DJ Hero has to go up against. You know, you, the people who've played it clearly like it. I've not heard anyone who's played it saying a bad thing about it. Um, right. It's just not many people have it. Not many people have played beyond the demo. Um, it's you know, and and, the, and it's the price point. Uh, people still can't get over the price point, and rightly so. It's huge. It's a lot to, a mm-hmm. lot of money to pay for one game. It's, yeah. it's the price has actually come down a lot now. Um, I've seen the I've actually in the UK I've seen the Renegade edition, which was the one that was originally 120 quid, which is I think 150 dollars. Um, that was the one with the Eminem and Jay Z branding on it. Right. I've actually seen that for sale for 40 quid. Really? So, 40? I've seen yeah. 70 somewhere. I've, it was it was the game was selling them for 40 pounds for two days before Christmas. Um, you can get the standard box now with the standard DJ kit in the game for for sixty quid, and many supermarkets are doing it for fifty. So the price has come down. They got the price horrifically wrong. Right. Um, but then again, that's Activision, isn't it? And that's that's why I feel really sorry for these guys because the amount of effort and love that's gone into making the game by Freestyle Games is is incredible. The amount of detail. I mean, like I said, 90 mixes. I mean, it took it took them a year to do all those. Yeah. Right. Um, they didn't just have some idiot, you know, uh, music rep just going up buying up songs. They had to they had to buy up lots of songs and get the rights to mix them together and do all the mixes, which are really good, um, and build that into the game, you know. So amount of effort they put in, I just, I really feel for them, because their game has come out exactly the wrong time in many ways. And mm-hmm. I don't think Activision have done them any favours at all. It's it's a real pity. And 
when you compare that to the car crash that is the, the Tony Hawk game, which it's kind of getting <laughs> compared to, because they both, of course, have been the kind of flagship peripheral games this yeah. year. Again, it, it, it kind of upsets me a bit, because I think you, you can't compare the two from what I've seen. Well, certainly you not know, by one reviews. Is... If you, you know, look at the Metacritics, like Metacritic is for, for DJ Hero something like 90, uh, 87, I think, and, and Tony Wright. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's threatening <laughs> the, the low 60s around that area at the moment. So, I, I just hope they see sense and they maybe... Because um, they are working on the sequel, so there is, you know, they've put, put some more money up front to, to do another game. I just hope that they, when they release it next time, they release it at a sensible price point and that people can you know, actually pick it up and play it um, and enjoy it, really. I think the lack of the steady flow of DLC is telling about DJ Hero. Right. They have not been keeping it up as much as they do Guitar Hero. No, it's, it takes a lot more work to right. to create each one. Because obviously, it's it's not a case of just buying a song and then assigning notes to it. They have to take at least two songs. They have to do the mix. Right. The mixing is difficult, and they've got to get the mix to work with the uh, you know the the actual balance of the game. Because um, it's the actual mechanics of the game. I'm sure you guys have all seen it. It's, pretty complicated especially at the higher difficulty levels so there's a lot more work that has to go into it to actually make it work um and in many ways that maybe it's achilles heel because it's obviously gonna be quite expensive to create the right. dlc for it right well i'm sure as the price continues to drop more of us get to play we'll all begin to realize that yeah this game is pretty damn good and the fact that it had the hero name slapped onto it is probably the worst decision that activision made this year uh, i wouldn't but, i wouldn't discount the chances of a second wind sales wise no, I wouldn't either. I, I plan on mm-hmm. buying it when it drops even further. So yeah, the I mean, price drop is going to do it. Yeah. Anecdotally, I've seen a lot of um, people on on Twitter on my you know my Twitter feed saying you know yeah I got DJ here for Christmas. So right. I think there's probably been I think Christmas sales may have been quite good. So I guess we'll see in in January. It's still being advertised Wonder- on that television. So there you go. Right. Wonder how Tony Hawk is doing. Anyway, uh, Mister. Got Eddie. that on their list actually. Tony Hawk on the list. Games of the year. Tony Hawk. Has anyone played it? Even that? Anyone played Tony Hawk Ride? No. Nope. I right. played with the board. Ooh. I was impressed with the board. But no, that was again, that was in a shop. I just mm. sort of picked it up and stood on it and looked at it and pressed the buttons and it felt really solid. But I think that's about the best thing you can say about it. <laughs> Fair enough. Hi, everybody. It's Toz from CrankyGamersUK.net wishing you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Hope it's been a good one for gaming. Next year's going to be just as good. I'm going to hand you over to my other two co-hosts for their best wishes. After a great gaming year, a, a great year in podcasting, looking forward to more in the future. Hi, it's Minion. Hope you had a good 2009 and 2010's going to be a better year. Peace and goodwill to all men. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, all men and women. Sorry. Merry Christmas! Ho, ho, ho! Uh, Mr. Eddie, Borderlands. Borderlands. Borderlands was a bit of a surprise to me. I mean, even though I had seen it a few times, like at E3 and everything, and I thought, oh, wow, that looks like it could be really fun. I think it did a great job at being a very playable first-person shooter with enough diversity in its class structure and the skills that you could pick up to make it a... a viable sort of RPG-ish option. It's it's almost like Fallout 3 Arcade, if I had to describe it really quickly. Um, and it works well, and it's great if you play with friends, so long as you have a headset. Um, and it, it just feels like a, a mild MMO, almost, the way that you pick up quests, and you go out and 
and uh, accomplish your tasks, and it, everything just works really well. There, I have a few little gripes with it about um, maybe the mission structure. Of a lot of the missions end up being very similar, which is a, a plague of all games that involve that similar sort of quest structure where you get the quest, go do it, bring it back for your reward. Um, so they could have varied that up a little bit. But then again, I loved Assassin's Creed, so what <laughs> What kind of a hypocrite am I? No, but um, I think it, it was really an excellent effort and uh, really blended genre as well. I'm going to disagree with your use of RPG. Uh I, I'll go full on board with MMO, but if you're okay. going to, you know, it's because it's got the MMO things of you know doing quests, fetch quests a lot of the time, uh, and uh, this huge world which you can go explore, and uh, it's very much you know shoot six of these guys or get seven of these things and bring them back to me. Um, so it's kind of that World of Warcraft thing, and in the same way, World of Warcraft isn't an RPG. <laughs> Borderlands is not an RPG. World of Warcraft has uh, does better storytelling than Borderlands. Um, most bad first-person shooters do better storytelling than Borderlands. There's, there's no story there. Right. Um, and okay. for me, you can't call it an RPG without a story, because there's no role you're playing. You I guess just, it's not a role. There's, there's, there's classes, there's stuff like that, sure, which, you know, I guess you can equate with the RPG genre. But the problem is, for me, it, I really liked it, but that's because I really like open-world first-person shooters where mm-hmm. the, the, the first-person shooting is genuinely fun. Um, that's why I didn't. I didn't like Far Cry 2. I never got on with the first-person shooting in that game. Um, but with Borderlands, it, it, the shooting is very, very good. They've done, you know, especially the sniping is brilliant. Um, but beyond that, like, it's a very repetitive game. I mean, but I, 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 I finished it all the way through to the end, and I, I, I loved every minute of it. Don't get me wrong, but that's because I, I, I like I said, I think I just like. <laughs> Once you get, I don't know how to put it. Um, for me, the repetitive repetition is not a problem, but I can imagine it being a, rep, a problem for other people. Did you play with friends? Yeah, and that's, that, that's good fun. Me and Joe had a, a few games, actually. And yeah. that, that's good fun. And But, you know, a lot of games are good fun in co-op. Um, co-op makes a lot, of, a lot of reasonable games look very, very good. Not too human. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Just throwing that out. Said that to the wrong man. <laughs> See, now, now um, aren't most first-person shooters generally repetitive, though, when you think about it? Is it, to me, a first-person shooter, the, the joy I derive from a first-person shooter is mostly about the way it handles. I don't, I don't know that the repetition is as big a deal in a game like Borderlands as it might be in, I don't know, some story-driven sort of game. Okay, take Call of, Call of Duty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, terrible, terrible story. <laughs> you know, probably the worst story in any game this year. But it mixes things up so much in terms of its gameplay. You're doing really crazy things from one thing to the next. There's different things going on around you. You know, the world is, you know, in different places, different uh, scenery, different weapons, blah, 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 blah. Uh, in, in Borderlands, every weapon feels kind of similar. Uh, uh, as much as it tells you, there's so many different weapons. That the, 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 beyond the different classes of weapons, they're all kind of similar. Um, and you're in the same bloody wasteland location for most of the game. And it, that gets kind of dull that you were in the same area, same kind of desert area for the whole game. And uh, the fact that there's no story to tie it all together can make it feel uh, very much like an MMO, for better or for worse. In my opinion. (laughs) 
Yeah, I guess using using the the term RPG is also a misnomer when you're talking about MMO mechanics. It's sort of the default that I use to uh, describe that. I think it's because it's because it's got the kind of Fallout Three thing to it in terms of looks and you know the, there's there it, you know if you blinked you could not you could easily you know see Fallout Three in front of you say the Borderlands. Um, it it and so maybe that's why it gets kind of the RPG thing, but I just don't see it for me at all. Well, yeah, it doesn't have it doesn't have the any of the conversational stuff, right. the the real interaction with the NPC characters. There's no real like uh, thought put into that world either in Borderlands, which I, I think is a shame because I think they had some nice ideas actually in the in the little bits of story that you get. It's just that they're so half-hearted that it just there's no real connection to that world or to, or to the characters or to anything you're doing. I've heard a lot of people talk about claptrap. Yeah, people do like Claptrap. I've <laughs> heard a lot. Yeah, I, I can't say myself, but I've heard a lot of talk. There you go. <laughs> I don't right. know what to say to that. <laughs> <laughs> Just interjecting my completely useless opinion because I played the game for two hours with Sinan, and that's it. A lot, um, a lot, a lot of people fun, do though? like it, so... I did. I did have fun, but I haven't played single player, and I haven't gone back to it yet because I'm waiting for more people uh, locally to buy it. Um, but I, I did have fun with the two hours, yeah. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Borderlands is like just... Get in, have fun, as opposed to actually think about what you're doing. It is very, well, Eddie, very simple you... fun, definitely. Right. Okay. Actually, to so that I want to add, I, I've not played Borderlands. I've heard very all over the board things about it. <laughs> but Eddie, would you say that it's fun to play with strangers, or is it one that really requires you to play with people that you know? Um, I played with strangers. I played without a mic, and that was terrible. And then I played with the mic and was able to communicate, and it worked out a lot better. Okay, so as long as you have a mic, it's... it's <laughs> yeah, you need to be able to communicate, or else you're jumping up and down near stuff that right, you, you can want play with to, different like, people. attention to. But you'd say that you can play with different people all the time, and the game's still fun. You don't need to have, um, yeah. you know, a group of friends you always play with. I'd say it's definitely preferable to start and run through everything together, but you can basically connect ad hoc and just jump in anywhere in the game and help each other with different uh, missions. It well, what adds I've asked is, if it. you're a guy whose friends don't have Borderlands, is it still worth getting? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's how I started, and then I convinced my friends to get it, too. It is. The only thing I would say is that you need uh, your higher-level friends to join and play your game, because if you try and do it the other way around, it's... it's you're going to die. Yeah, it's, it, it, the balancing of people of different levels doesn't really work. No. And in fact, if you're a higher level and you join a lower level game, it will tell you that you're not going to earn any XP. So, um, yeah, it, as a, funny enough, as a co-op game, it's kind of broken, but then as also a co-op game, it tends to work better as well. It's just <laughs> to be more enjoyable, but it, is, it doesn't, isn't designed particularly well. I think in the... In the random um, co-op player finder, doesn't it generally keep you within range? Yeah, if you, if you use the matchmaking, I think it tries yeah. to find something. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. <laughs> co-op <laughs> player finder sounds much <laughs> I, mean, I, I, played it, I played it a lot with my wife, who is about seven or eight levels higher than me. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it was impossible when I played with her, so she had to play my game, which means she had to replay everything that I'd done. Right. Um, uh, that she'd already done, sorry. So that's the only... That's the only issue with it, really. It's mm-hmm. not like Crackdown where you can just jump in and jump out. Right. All right, so that is Borderlands. A very mixed opinions, but it sounds like a pretty fun time if you have friends that play it, which, Jeff, I'm going to play it soon, so let me know when you get it. Fun but okay. flawed. 
Dirt 2 is a choice for Mr. Zantiriad. Why did Dirt 2 make your list, sir? Well, again, I, I think I'm, I like the plucky underdog. I'm a Brit. Brits like plucky underdogs. We don't like winning, but we like, we like people who, are, who aren't doing so well and, and sort of fighting through the Dunkirk spirit and all that. And um, this year's been quite a poor year for um, racing games. Right. Um, there's, we've had Forza 3, we've had the Need for Speed reboot, and we've had Dirt 2, which didn't really get a lot of hype or or press it kind of sort of sneaked out in sort of midsummer um but for me it's it's probably the best uh, racing game that we've had this generation it's it, it does what i think a lot of racing games now fail to do and it actually understands that for it to be fun it needs to be competitive hmm. and for it to be fun it needs to be close and it needs to be something that really gets your heart pounding really gets the adrenaline up and it's that's something which dirt 2 does in spades whether you play it online or whether you play it offline um you know you're always a millimeter away from completely crashing out or from destroying your car or from uh, ruining the event and and yet you always seem to be able to just about get away with it when you're playing it. And I don't know what they've done in the engine or behind the scenes to do that, but you always feel like you're just getting through by the skin of your teeth on every single corner and at every single event. It's just a fantastic, well-balanced racing game, and it, it has more atmosphere in the first 20 minutes of dirt than the 300 hours it takes to play through all of Forza 3. You know, Forza 3 is like going to the dentist it's, <laughs> it's it's clinical it's cold it's okay there's some nice pictures to look at on the walls but really there is a, if anyone tells me that they enjoy playing that game i just do not believe them they like cars they like the noise of the cars there is no enjoyment to be found in that game gran turismo on the psp exactly the same thing in fact that's um, as far as i'm concerned should be stricken from history because it's, <laughs> with only three AI opponents, it's not even a racing game. So, and I think just Dirt Two just hit the nail on the head. It got it absolutely right. And um, yeah, best best racing game I've played for for several years, in fact. Wow, how would you say it compares to its predecessor? It's definitely better. Um, I, I think they've they've tweaked certainly tweaked the engine, which is the and the physics, which is the the thing you really notice it like i said you, you always get this sensation that you're you're just on the very edge the very limit of what you what you're actually capable of doing um there's also a lot more variety in it and it it, it oh, there's a lot okay. less of the point to point rally events which obviously the the series is famous for you know being a that's really where, where its roots lie there's a lot more variety in the, the events there's a much most of the events now are actually with vehicles on the same track as you which is something that um, it's probably only 50-50 in dirt, whereas it's more like 75-25 in in dirt too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a I'm a fan of of the genre, and I would say dirt two is probably the second best racing game I've played after Project Gotham Racing two, which I think is probably the the best balanced racing game mm. that that we've we've had because they get everything right. You not only do you, you know it's not just about having cars that look good and tracks that look good. It's about actually making the racing fun and rewarding right. and rewarding risk taking, um, and that's exactly what what Dirt two does. Yeah. Wow, I thought the first one was excellent. Yeah, yeah, might, but I love the sequel. The yeah. The yeah. Kind of reminds me of last year's uh, Pure in the regard that you're kind of always fighting for that first place position. 
that's a really good uh, comparison actually. Pure was another one. Pure was really good. Yeah, and again, yeah. largely overlooked. Yeah, big fan of Pure. Good game. Yeah, Fort Forza Three was uh, very popular in our most overrated uh, episode. Yeah. A lot of picks for it, a lot of hatred for it, um, and uh, you know, I think there's that kind of the, the whole Gran Turismo Forza thing is starting to grate on people now. <laughs> well, let's just face it; they're just they're both rubbish now. You know, this. They're just too clinical. It's just too much of a, you know, petrol head's wet dream. It's like, oh, look at these pretty cars, but there's nothing else to it. You know, they're just missing the essence of racing. Mm. What people, what these guys need to do is actually go down to their local racetrack. You know, the Brands Hatch or Silverstone or I don't know, Indianapolis, wherever, you, where, wherever's nearest <laughs> to you, and actually see some real racing and see what it's really like. It's not like Forza. Forza is a simulator. It's not a racer. We we talk a lot about series that have stagnated with uh, visuals that have stagnated. I think racing genre is one surely because you know the whole leap with, the, with every Gran Turismo game was visuals for me, and uh, I, I worry a lot about Gran Turismo Five. Well, I really do. Well, have it, if you play well, Prologue and uh, GT PSP are identical in that the AI is dreadful, which still hasn't been fixed. It's the same AI that we had in in Gran Turismo One, basically. Mm, yeah, um, <laughs> they look fantastic, but with terrible AI and and still really dodgy. I mean, you know, they, they go on a lot about how they've, you know, the physics engine is, is superb. It is on the car, but everything else it's not. You know, so it, it just for me, they, they just don't work anymore. I think Gran Turismo reached its peak with probably Gran Turismo 3, and since then it's just got progressively worse because all they've done is make it look more shiny each time. Well, not a great year for racers, but it sounds like Dirt 2 is pretty good. Demon Souls. Demon Souls. Oh man, what a game! What a game! Jeez, I don't think I've ever played anything like Demon Souls. Um, First of all, I don't know if you can call it an RPG either. If we're going by um, Sinan's definitions, there's it's a limited story, but what it really is about is the world and the character. Um, Basically, you're set out on this task to basically save the world from demons that have descended on the planet and have robbed all life of their souls. And it's just this horrible, oppressive, massive world. Um, And you start out in this hub called the Nexus, going to all these other sections that are completely different from one another. Um... This is the hardest game to describe, and I don't know that it's necessary that I do it. I've heard it's more, <laughs> the, it's more the hardest game to play than it is to describe. That's what I've heard. It's, uh, I mean, I, I've, every review I've read of the game says uh, it'll take nine hours for you to enjoy it, which is it's very odd. I mean, did you find that when you played it? Um, no, I I enjoyed it from the second I turned it on, because it's the it's so atmospheric and. You have so much control over your character, unlike other sort of hack and slash type games, which is really what it is. It just gives you a lot more control. It's almost a cross between a third-person action game like Ninja Gaiden and a point-and-click 
uh, dungeon crawler like like Baldur's Gate or something, which is it finds its place in the middle there, but it really comes down to every battle, every encounter in the game is life and death. So you run into your basic knight, and he can kill you. Like it's not it's not like all these enemies are just throwaways. Every time you approach an enemy, you have to prepare yourself to to fight it out. Basically, you you have your your shield mapped to the L and R buttons, and your weapon, if you're a righty, I guess, mapped to your um, the L1 and L2, and then the the weapon map to R1 and R2. Um, so, as you're fighting, you are controlling just about every facet of of the action, and you, it's so intricate that you can plan it out to to parry and then respond based on where the the character is going to be. Um, like for example, today I was fighting these worms, and they would perform a particular attack. Um, sent their mouth in one direction, so my plan was to sidestep and perform a horizontal slash at the last second to catch them in their most vulnerable spot. And the game is really a lot about things like that, like getting getting into your character so much that you feel like you're there and it makes traveling through the world or worlds um, so much more engaging than your typical action game or RPG because every second that you're in the world you are worried you're, you're on edge you're waiting for the next thing to happen you don't know what's going to happen uh, around the next corner and you can die so easily, and the consequences of death are so severe that it's it's really um, daunting. Like it's frightening, and it's not even a horror game, but it's it's more scary than any horror game I've played in the past. I don't know since I've been an adult, and I didn't even mention all the the multiplayer component. Um, which is is really unique in that you're playing a single player game but you see other characters that are connected to the server running through the same areas that you're in um but just in in like an alternate dimension so they're phantoms where you are and, and you can interact with them by leaving them messages or you can draw your own information about the world from what you see them doing. You can see them maybe going to fight. You can look at their blood stains that will play a holographic image of their last moments uh, before they uh, befell their their horrible fate <laughs> of which there are many. So you can get clues about the environment that way. And then you can actually join one another so it's this strange and unique interplay of single player and multiplayer uh, design elements that works very very well and does it without really copying anything it's just such a unique and original concept and 
it it works. It's pretty amazing. I just wanted to second Eddie's notion that it's a game that you really do do need to play because I it almost made my list, but I was going to say, when you watch videos of it, it doesn't look all that interesting. It looks like a fairly typical dungeon crawler. But once you actually play it, there's just something about the lighting in the game and the tense atmosphere that that makes it just very, very engaging. That and you, In a way that you wouldn't think unless you played it. Um, Jeff, I mean, you told me... Uh at length about this game at E3. I had I had no clue about this game because it hadn't been come out in America yet, nor was it even on the schedule at that point, I don't think. Um, but you told me about uh, the articles you had read, and I believe you had ordered an import copy at that point. Yeah, it, it was on my front door by the time I got back from E3. Right. And, you know, it's, I wanted, I, there's, there are times where I almost don't like being a game journalist because I don't have time for games like Demon's Souls mm-hmm. because it's a fantastic game. And where was this game when I was in in high school or college where I only had money to buy a few games a year because you'll get the most value out of your buck this year for Demon's Souls. I mean, it, I, I put in about 25 hours and I beat not even four stages out of, I think, is it 20 in the game? <laughs> There's like five areas and I think each one is four, four stages. Yeah, and I, I beat two and got two bosses on two of the other ones and couldn't, couldn't fell them. So yeah, if you, if you have the time and the patience for it, yeah, you'll get a lot out of this. That's definitely worth noting in any game of the year discussion. I think is that Demon Souls. It's like the type of game that you can just you can play forever and persist off of its world and the different builds of characters you can create, and really get into it that way, as opposed to other games that may have well-defined characters and a directed story and basically set you down this path that has been created for you, whereas in Demon's Souls, it's almost like an MMO experience where you're just you're creating your entire game by yourself, by what you do, you know, where you choose to go, how you choose to build the character. This is a game that I, I can't even understand how it exists. <laughs> That's I, I agree with you. I'm amazed it's gotten such such a good reception in America. I thought that it was going to be just such a niche... I mean, it is a niche title, but you know, I thought it was going to get very mixed reviews. And right. This is the question I have for you guys. You know, you say it's had it's had good reviews. Some places haven't reviewed it yet because they say they can't get past the first couple of hours, the first hour of it, because it's too hard. Now, my, my initial reaction when I read something like that is, okay, then why are you a journalist? But I, I'm... I'm going to be open-minded and i want to ask all you guys like is there is there can can you validate someone saying in a review i just this is ridiculously difficult at two hours in i would not have persevered with this anymore at this stage i'm done with this game i can't review it for you sorry goodbye that's a totally fair way of looking at it honestly hang on (laughs) one person first and jeff jeff you go first I just said that's, that's a totally fair way of looking at it. I mean, it's not a game for everyone at all. I'm, like, I'm surprised so many people like it. I'm surprised I liked it as much as I did. But, and, you know, admittedly, I, I kind of, I felt like I maybe achieved myself a little that I kind of looked up some hints, some, some pro tips before I began, like which class to start with. I started as a royal, which gives you a long-range magical attack and recharging magic at the off. And... I can't even imagine how difficult it would be with, with some of these other starting classes. So Did they say don't start as a wanderer? 
Um, <laughs> I, I started as. <laughs> I didn't reach what, which ones not to start as. I just looked, looked up a couple, you know, some discussions about it and found a couple recurring tips. So, yeah, I mean, it, that is one, you know, possible criticism is that it, it definitely doesn't make itself accessible to a newcomer. And some people, even if they get these tips, they're still going to have a lot of trouble with it and not not want to persist. So it's something that, you know, if you get the chance to rent it or something that you might, or borrow it from a friend or any way to get your hands on it, you might want to spend a few hours of it first just to to see if it's going to click with you or not. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm, I think I'm, the... Go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I might get called out on this for being wrong, but I think I understand that at this moment the, the Western sales are much better than the Japanese sales, which is yeah. really <laughs> weird. That makes no that sense is to weird. me. Uh, I think it's also something like 500,000 worldwide so far, according to, you know, like BG charts, so you can't, you know, necessarily take that as, as gospel. But, yeah, 500,000 copies is very good for what is mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. selling itself as a niche game. Uh, that's very impressive to me. I mean, it took a while until it was even announced that it was coming to, yeah. to America. I, I think it was announced, it came out in, in February in Japan, and I'd ordered it. I think I ordered it in May, but it was backlogged, so it wasn't going to be. Give, it was sold out everywhere, you know, Play Asia and um, Yes Asia and just all the import sites. I think I got mine off eBay, that's right. And you, you had to wait weeks to get it anywhere, and it wasn't until. I was kind of kicking myself because, like, a few days after I ordered it, Atlas made the announcement that they were going to be bringing it here. <laughs> and. But but it's fine. I mean, in some ways, I wish I waited for the the special edition here. But you know, it, it doesn't matter. It, right. It, it was fully in English, by the way, for for those who imported it. So, yeah, um, Atlas really scored on <laughs> taking this one here. It's not it's, it's not here in the UK, is it, Sam? Yet, I don't think. Well, it's in English, and it's you can import it, and it'll work on. British PS3s. So. Yeah, there's no there's no European release date, which no. <clears throat> yeah, I know we, we can import it, but it does annoy me when that happens. You know, Grr. it's not just the UK and Europe. You know, there's quite a few other countries. Really? But, yeah. Were, yeah. Fu- funny that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's honestly rare that a game gets imported these days. Period. With since every game seems to come out the day, same day for everyone, uh, except Bayonetta and Demon Souls this year. So, Sinan, there has been one game that you have shoved down our throats since February of this year. Shoved down your throats. I let you guys talk about Silent Hill for like 10 minutes, and I didn't say anything. <laughs> I was very nice and patient. No, it's, it's fine. It's, it's a worthy game, but tell us about Street Fighter 4. Yes, Street Fighter 4. Um, it's good. It's very, very good. I mean, I've, I've talked at length about the game, so I won't go into any more detail. What I will say is, you know, it's been... 10 months since it came out and I am still playing it um, and I'm still really enjoying it. I understand people's concerns about the multiplayer and, you know, maybe there are some minor balancing issues, blah, blah, blah. These are all the very hardcore people, to use that word probably unfairly, um, uh, uh, who get way into fighting games more, much more than I do. For me, I, I've played some of, you know, some of the Street Fighter iterations, not all of them. I really enjoy Street Fighter 2. I really, really enjoy Street Fighter 4 because it is just... It's, it feels like a very balanced, polished fighter with 
a lot of nostalgic value for me. And I don't care if that makes it an incredibly subjective inclusion in this list. <laughs> I don't care at all because it's, it's probably the game I've enjoyed the most this year, you know, for, oh. for, for most periods of time. Um, and I know I'm not the only one, so uh, it, it has to be mentioned here. I second that, and that's all I have to say. There's not much <laughs> more to say about Street Fighter 4. It's a very, very good product. You win! All right, then. I guess I'll quickly go into one of my picks, Left 4 Dead 2. Um, I've spoken at length about it on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, actually. Uh, I think that everything that they put into this one is kind of the way it should have been in the first one. I think that the designs of the new missions and everything else was, was much better than it was the first time around. And I think that the overall experience is made better based around what they've done. And I loved the first one a lot. So this one really did a lot for me. And even though I wasn't too excited for it, I ended up playing it a lot and really enjoying it. And I'm looking forward to playing it again now. So, um, even though it's, it's definitely one of the less, uh, uh, let's see, but, it had definitely the least amount of development probably of any of these games that are on this list, but um, I still think it is a worthy, a very fun, and easily my favorite multiplayer game of 2009. I'm just going to say, like, you're the, you know, both me and Eddie went with Street Fighter 4, and uh, uh, I, I was expecting a few more people to go with Left 4 Dead 2, but you're the only one who went Left 4 Dead 2. I mean, mm. uh, I assume we've all, we've all played it or at least tried it or something, but uh, is there just kind of... For the reason why I didn't make my list, I'd, I'd ask uh, Zan, Eddie, and Jeff as well. For me... As much as it's, it is a great game. I just don't feel like there's enough new, fresh ideas there for me to consider it as one of the best games of this year. I, I simply just haven't played it enough. I mean, I don't have enough. I just don't play multiplayer games that much, to be honest. Unless I have to for for review or maybe certain other other occasions. Just because I keep odd hours. You know, I'm on the west coast. A lot of my friends are. On the East Coast or ahead, and you know, I'm usually playing games at three in the morning here, and just kind of like to keep my own my own schedule. But it 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 seemed really good for when I played. I played it both at E3 and PAX. I actually, played it with uh, Joe and Eddie for the first. Yes, you did. Ever played it was with with those guys. Oh, yeah, that's right. We went through the parish together. Yeah, yeah. the way we weaseled our way in there. <laughs> <laughs> you may have snuck into the Valve press room and got some. We charmed there. Valve. To Eddie, <laughs> yeah, we Eddie definitely charmed. charmed. Valve. <laughs> did my best. Slick Mr. Inzatos charmed our, our way in, and me and Jeff kind of snuck in behind him, and uh, we got some gaming in, which was a lot of fun. So, yeah. for that alone, Left 4 Dead deserves its spot on this list. That's what I would say, anyway. <laughs> I think I might be the, the lone voice against it, actually. I I like the first game a lot, uh, and I, so I got it, you know, I pre ordered it and got it on release day, and I really didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would. In fact, I, I didn't enjoy it at all. I. I found there was too much for me to think about now. Um, one of the great things about the first one was the simplicity of it. You know, you pick a weapon, you pick your health pack, go, job done. Um, now there's lots of things to, to think about. Do I carry this? Do I carry that? You know, I, I can understand that in a, in a, in a, you know, when you're playing four-player co-op, you can obviously team up and get one person to carry the defibrillator and one person to carry the health pack and so on, but... To, it just ruined for me anyway. It just it just gave me too many things to worry about, too many things to think about, and I also found it a lot harder. Uh, I don't know if that's just me, but I found left oh, it too much more you. difficult. No, <laughs> yeah. So uh, it maybe I don't know whether they got the balancing slightly wrong. Uh, maybe some of the new infected again just make it that much more difficult. Uh, I don't I don't know what it is, but I played probably two thirds of it 
in co-op with with some of my friends, and I, I just had to say to them, I, I, I can't play this no more. I'm just really not enjoying it. Mm. Um, so weird. It's probably one that I'll maybe go back to in six months' time and have a completely different attitude towards. It, it came on the back of like two or three months where we've had shooter after shooter after shooter after shooter, and that right. may have had something to do with it as well. But uh, to me, it just felt tired and lackluster as a sequel. But for me, I, I played the first one a lot, um, and you know, playing the same four campaigns over and over and over again, it kind of got you know very tiring uh, towards the end of my play. This one, the fact that there is so much more in here, it kind of makes me think that in three months' time, I will still be loving all this because there is that much more depth in there. So I could totally see where you know a person who only plays it sometimes or occasionally they could kind of be overwhelmed by all the new stuff and, and the added complexity that they put in. But for me, for the people that, you know, I guess have played a lot of Left 4 Dead 1, it kind of is something that I welcome and I totally jumped right into. And as Sinan noted, probably when he was playing with me, I was giggling the entire time about how great it was. So, um, yeah, that's my take on Left 4 Dead 2. I, I truly enjoyed it. Um, Jester, Brutal Legend. Sure. So, um, as some of you may know, Brutal Legend was my most anticipated game in, I can't tell you how long, probably since Okami, maybe Bioshock. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it was was very, very highly anticipated by me. Big Tim Schafer fan, Grim Fandango and Psychonauts are two of my all-time favorite games. And, you know, I got... It's funny, I... I said on one of our, our podcasts that I would refuse to review the game because I didn't want to rush through it. But then once I was given the chance to get it early, I all bets were off. So, <laughs> so I, I mean, I liked it. I, I gave it a nine, but it, it wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be um, for reasons that a lot of people have had. that They found the real-time strategy elements clunky, and it, it wasn't an all-time classic, but it's still making my top five because... The things that it did well, it did very, very well. The writing was excellent all across the board. The characters were great. The story was great. Um, but really, the thing that's going to stick with me about Brutal Legend, the way, the reason that game is going to be remembered for, for years to come is the world that was created mm-hmm. in this game. It's, it's so detailed. Like, every, every nook and cranny of it is just filled with great heavy metal um, icons and just the art direction in general, like just the sky always looks great. It's, it, they don't just rely on the usual drab grays and browns. It's purple and orange. And, and I mean, if you look at the different armies, the, the third army in the game, you barely even get to see in the single player campaign, but each unit is just filled with at least a dozen great ideas in them. And I love the lore of the game. You can drive around and find, find little bits of, of lore about how this world came to be. And Tim Schafer did a lot of, of research on, on Norse mythology. And the world just seems very, it's very consistent. And it's not just trying to be funny. I mean, it is very funny, but it actually has, it's, it's more serious than you expect the game is going to be. Because that's one of my concerns going in, that it was just going to be funny and we'd laugh at the, the heavy metal parody and that would be it. But it, it actually creates like this whole this whole universe about how mankind was or what used to be mankind was like this twisted form that couldn't could not bear to look upon itself and then the fire beast Armageddon 
it was basically like the sun, and because it reflected what they really were, they hated it and considered it a demon, and it's really fascinating stuff. And, it, you know, again, the dialogue and characters are great. So for for that reason alone, Brutal Legend has, has a place in my heart, even with, you know, some of the, the design niggles that I had with it. It seems like a theme. It's like anyone I've talked to about Brutal Legend, and myself included, all love the characters, the voice acting, the world, the look, everything about it, except for the main gameplay focus, which was the <laughs> stage battles. So I'm not sure I call I, the main focus, but it's it's a much bigger part of the game than you would expect, especially because right. it doesn't even come into play until about three, four hours into the game. Yeah, see, the beginning, I enjoyed a lot more than when I finally got into the larger scale stage battles. Yep. It's weird because at E3 they had about a 25-minute demo and not a single second of it was spent with stage battles. And I think that's weird that they spent so much time focusing on the God of War-like aspects, which, Jeff, those are pretty minor in the actual game, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not just a demo. I mean, like I said, the first three full hours of the game are just amazing, and it's it's very much based on exploration and uh, the combat. I mean, the combat's not that great, but it it seems like it's going to be pretty good because it it works well for when it's introduced. And then, yeah, it just becomes a smaller and smaller part of the game. Right. Like, mm-hmm. once they introduce the, the stage battles a few hours in, it takes up about half of the rest of the game. Wow. If you go, if you go straight through. However, my favorite thing to do with the game was not to do the missions, was to explore the world. So if you space it out that way, it's right. not... As bad, I'd say you probably spend about four to five hours of the game doing stage battles. Wow. And, you know, depending on how, how you play the game, that ratio is going to change. We, we got a great soundbite for our most overrated show from um, Donna from Pink and Deadly Podcast on uh, Brutal Legend. And she wasn't the only one, by the way, Jeffrey, who said it was the uh, most overrated game in 2009. But she said, <laughs> uh, to sum up quite, uh, I think actually she, she pretty much sort of kept it this concise as well to say that, you know, she wasn't expecting an RTS 1. And two, if when your developer has to come out and tell you how to play the game, that's not usually a very good sign. <laughs> um, you know, and I haven't played it, so hands up, I'm not going to comment. But to me, like, I can, I, I do think when a developer has to come out and say you're not playing it right, <laughs> there is a bit of a, there is a bit of a problem. It's not very intuitive. It has an awful tutorial. I'll definitely say that. I mean, when I read, I'd like to go back and play it again after reading that article by Schaefer about how how he wanted people to play it because the I, I didn't get that at all. Like I was really trying to micromanage my troops and you know he said we didn't allow you to do that because we didn't want people to do that. So it could just be be a matter of, you know, um not explaining the game. Right. You know, not a very good tutorial. But yeah, I mean I think that Tim Schafer's always been a great writer and a good designer, and I think that this game highlights his weaknesses as a designer the most, and in that regard, it's it's one of his, his lesser games, but still going to make it in my top five. It's funny that the tutorial sort of, or just all the the little tutorial bits basically teach you a lot of the similar elements of other games where you command troops, and then it, the game expects to be played uh, contrary to its tutorial. 
even. Like, not just from what you might think, but from what the tutorial actually teaches you. It doesn't say, like, leave your troops alone. It says, manage them. Yeah, that that was a little odd to me that... I mean, well, especially because the the whole metaphor is that you're, you're a roadie, so you're supposed to be basically invisible and just um, assisting other people. But then he's saying that the whole idea is that you're you're supposed to actually have a big impact and be in there fighting, and that didn't didn't mix with what they're trying to convey about Arodi. So, yeah, there's there's definitely some problems there, but still, based on his strengths, I I would definitely. Give anyway, Eddie, tell us about Assassin's Creed Two. Assassin's Creed 2. Um, well, I could start by saying Assassin's Creed 2 is not Assassin's Creed 1. Um, everyone had pro- a lot of people had problems with Assassin's Creed because while it presented this incredible world that you could easily become enamored with and a unique control style, cool combat and climbing and all that, it became very repetitive. And this is nothing new to anyone who plays video games you know this but assassin's creed 2 did a great job in varying everything up producing a more cohesive story that with with characters that um progressed and developed from the beginning to the end started off a little slowly but there was always something driving you, and the game culminated with an, a sort of insane twist. Um, so that, that was a big improvement, and also it added new weapons. It added a variety of side missions, and it just it was a lot more fun to play. There were even there was so much historical, semi-fictional, semi-factual information you know they infused real characters uh, from history real places it, it was sort of an art history lesson at the same time there's there was such a broad range of stuff in assassin's creed 2 um, from just enjoying florence and venice and everything in between to following this very pointed although sometimes meandering <laughs> revenge plot um, I don't know. It it was a very very well executed game in my opinion. Assassin's Creed Two was my choice for most overrated game of two thousand and nine, mm-hmm. and it's not because it's a good it's a good game. Don't get me wrong. It's it's a middleish B game uh, to use a one up oh, scale. Oh man! Calm down. <laughs> Just ruin it for me. <laughs> don't believe him. Wait wait wait, because it fixes a lot of problems. That was in that was in the original. Unfortunately, it doesn't really do much beyond that, except for a little bit of nice history polish uh, there. Which don't get me. I really like the history side of this game. I I did get you know a, a, a great enjoyment from going past these buildings and finding out information about them or reading into the to background of Leonardo da Vinci. But uh, the the novelty of the first game, uh, you know, having all that. that this uh, this history to, to to wander through and being this very cool person, uh, this cool avatar who is assassinating people. This just this unique setting and feel, which you just didn't really, you haven't there hadn't been a game really like Assassin's Creed uh, 
in terms of setting, in terms of that part of history for a while. Um, I, I just that was lost for me in the second one, um, and there was still no not much in terms of really solid, what I would call actually challenging gameplay. Like it's just you can throw lots of weapons at a game. You can you can. Uh, say there are all these new different ways to kill people it's still the same basic kind of standard on challenging platforming and killing gameplay which doesn't really encourage being diverse in the way you approach it doesn't really encourage variety there is a you know there's always a best way of going about something i want this game to be a game where i feel like i can experiment where I feel like I can really enjoy assassinating people, and I just never got that in Assassin's Creed 2. I, stay, I stuck with it for the history side of it, for the, the setting, especially Venice at the end is a beautiful, beautiful uh, game world that uh, I think one of the best you know, sort of locations in the game this year. But for this game to be getting 92, 93 in Metacritic, no way, Jose. That's, it's really overrated. Mm. I... I'd have to, to agree with Sinan on this one, although I really liked it a lot still. I mean, it has a lot it, a lot of problems. I mean, we, I know you discussed on, on uh, one of the previous programs about the, the, the codex and how you find each one the same way and you kept just sending courtesans to each one. I just kept killing the guards because it was so easy. And that's sort of my, my issue with the game is that it just... It gave you all these cool tricks, but everything was equally effective to the point that I never felt like I had to, to be strategic at all and use, you know, go about something in an interesting way. I never really had to be very stealthy or I could always just tear down a poster and then run along the rooftop and, you know, be on my merry way. And in that regard, it it kind of reminded me of what, uh, what you were saying about Shadow Complex, actually. It was just a very, it was a good game to just zone out in and it was very easy casual and you know i i think i had a lot of problems with the game but at the end of the day i put in i didn't time myself by 20 25 hours and i beat the game found all the codex uh went to every skyscraper and i really really enjoyed it while it lasted and then when it was over i just never really thought about it again so you know it was, it was still a really good game though Eddie, are you okay? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's fine. Right. Just want to make sure. All right, so t- tell, us, tell us why we're wrong, Eddie. Tell you why you're wrong. Um, about this. I, <laughs> you're wrong about every... No. Um, I kind of just zoned you guys out, actually, to be honest. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, no, you, everyone's... I mean, you're entitled to what you like. Uh, I really enjoyed actually experimenting throughout Assassin's Creed. I did a, a variety of different things at, at a variety of different times, you know, for various situations. As Do you much not as feel I could. like you had to really force yourself to think that way? That it, 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 if you kind of... It was very difficult to get out the mindset of just, you know, I can do it this way because that worked last time, and if I really want to just get a move on and find out what happens next, then I'll do it this way. No, I actually felt very free, and I felt like I wasn't forced to do it any particular way. It's interesting. So maybe it's just it's, it's a matter of subjective approach. Yeah. Hmm. Which, Which I can understand it, yeah. hearing you guys talk about it, but I just don't agree. Right, that, that, that makes sense to me. I mean, I, I do generally um, 
just other day I was talking to Corvus about this because he, he was a very big fan of Assassin's Creed 2. And, you know, he kind of likes a game that doesn't force you to play in a certain way. And I'm maybe it's just my old gaming habits. And, you know, we were discussing my love of Zelda that I kind of like games that have a little bit more structure and want me to to try and figure out a best solution. Whereas this is a game that rewards any solution. I, I didn't think that the writing was really that strong. This, the overall story is kind of interesting, but yeah, I mean, it, it's not that big a deal with this sort of game, but there, there were parts that were actually really good, so it made me want the writing to be better, but I mean, I know that you're an assassin, but you still go around murdering just thousands of people just because it's their job to be a guard. And I didn't buy the... It was the same problem I had with, with Grand Theft Auto, that you're supposed to be like this nice, likable guy, and that you're just killing thousands of people, and really you could achieve your goal, you know, by actually being stealthy and not killing them, but there's no there's no gameplay benefit to, to not harming people. It's just easier to kill people because it's convenient. And, you know, it didn't bother me that much, but it just seemed kind of... It, it didn't seem very innovative that way. It was, it was still fun, though. There's yeah, they gave you... They gave you so many new ways to be stealthy, too. Like, with the blending into crowds and, and things like that, it was all much more seamless than it ever was before. Right, but again, you can you can just go be seamless... Sorry, be seamless. Uh, be stealthy with the courtesan, say, and just, you know, hire them and wander around the whole city undetected. And that's... You, and that just makes the game a bit too easy for me. Uh, I found no, not one of the missions challenging. I didn't get killed at one point throughout the entire game. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I, Def- yeah, it definitely was easy. I mean, it wasn't a super challenging game. Maybe maybe, maybe Jeff's onto something in terms of the writing necessarily wasn't actually that good. What I did like was that there was context in terms of the overall story with every mission. You did feel like there was you were kind of doing something which was had a point <laughs> towards your overall mission. in this story arc, right? And I liked how the story sort of grew out of it itself. Right. And you were always more... You were delving deeper into this without spoiling it. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Everyone There's dies. A... Ah, damn it. Well, I mean, it, it was well-paced. I have to give it credit for that. It reminded me very much of Crackdown and Infamous, where you're on your way to do one thing, and then you find 12 other things you want to do. You want to collect this, and you know, kill those people, and it, you know, moment to moment, it provided a lot of fun, despite any problems that I had with it, so, yeah, definitely worth checking out, I'd say. Oh, yeah, no, good Even game. if it's overrated. But overrated, for me. Ouch. By Eddie and <laughs> <laughs> Well, everyone seems to be a little unsure about the writing quality of Assassin's Creed 2, but I don't think anyone here would argue that the last two games we're going to talk about have excellent writing. Just just before we move on to our final two games, and I won't give them away, um, but I'm su- suspecting that if you've been listening carefully, you've probably got an idea what they are. Uh, you know, there have been a lot of very good games that haven't made this list this year, big games, so, you know, we're, we're, uh, things like uh, Dragon Age, uh, Resident Evil 5, Infamous, Prototype. You know, there's been it's been a pretty consistent year in terms of having... Uh, Decent games, you know, that maybe, maybe what listening to all you guys talking like that, I'm not actually certain that 2009 has been that fantastic a year for gaming, 
bar maybe the two games that we're going to be talking about uh, next. You know, I think those two for me stand out a lot. But I, I think it's been it's been a good year. Don't get me wrong, but uh, maybe some of the big titles, especially looking like you know Resident Evil Five, didn't quite hit as high as we expected them to do. True. Yeah, Resident Evil Five is surprisingly forgettable. It really is, indeed. And I think it has a lot to do, maybe on a personal level, with the fact that I looked forward to it so much. It seems a lot of, in this discussion, a a lot of our preferences uh, come from games that we didn't really expect to be great, and the ones that we did have high hopes for were sort of disappointing in a way. Like, we set lofty expectations, and I find that to be like a theme all the time. I really enjoyed Resident Evil 5. I probably think I'd enjoyed it the most out of everyone here. I put about 42 hours into it. I played through it twice. Um, yet even that, I was a bit disappointed. Uh, I guess, as Eddie said, my expectations were just so damn high for it that I don't think it could have possibly lived onto that. Um, and I would also throw in, as far as games that we missed, Dead Space Extraction is fantastic and should be played by any Wii owner. And Ratchet and Clank, the latest one, was actually really, really fun. And I would encourage all PS3 owners to grab that one as well. And yeah, amazing to think that we haven't had Bond Warfare 2. I mean, it's probably one of the highest scoring Metacritic games of this year. But just for maybe people who were looking for something a bit more from that game and not what game, uh, you know, it just was a real disappointment. I, I mean, I, I personally would consider it an A game, one one of the best games this year for maybe top 10, but to hear it called, you know, the best game of this year, crazy talk. Modern Warfare 2 has so many problems, but anyway, we, well, we it, should move on. It sure came up a lot last week during our most overrated games of 2009. Yes. <laughs> Which yeah. has a lot. And, and I should also say that anyone who doesn't put 50 Cent Blood on their hand in the list is not human. Sinan, why don't you talk to us about Batman Arkham Asylum? Batman Arkham Asylum. Uh, we loved this game. We did a whole episode mm. on this game, and I think it took us to about the 55-minute mark before we said, so what's wrong with the game? And it was a real <laughs> difficult question for us to answer. Um, I mean, I, I, again, it's a game that came up in our most overrated uh, episode we just did. and mm. uh, so crazy. Yeah, um, the 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 Sonic's Ring Sonic's Ring guys uh, went went keen on it and said, you know, people got caught up in the hype of it and uh, that you know they just they were surprised in the sense that you know there's this Batman game and it's cool and then it's mm. it's it's good and it was a it's better than bad, <laughs> which was you know I can I can understand that because it it it, it was kind of surprising. It was a huge surprise that this game was was good, but for me, I think that misses how much thought and detail. And real development skill went into this game. Like, just I'm so impressed that this is a you know it's essentially a, de- a debut for Rocksteady Studios, and the, the the level of detail they put into each room, each mm. each sort of situation that you find, uh, and like the characterization was was spot on. They'd obviously fans of the animated series and the comic books, or whatever, and they, there's a real love of Batman there. And okay, maybe if you don't like Batman, you're not going to really like this. Sorry, that, 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 you could say that for a lot of things. I, I don't buy that as a real criticism against the game. For me, it's, it's, it, it made stealth cool again. Uh, mm. more, much more than Assassin's Creed 2 did. Uh, for, even if you think it's, it's, it's a very, very good game. No, stealth was better in Batman. I, I, I wouldn't accept anyone saying it was better in Assassin's Creed 2. And uh, I really 
like I, like we said on the show, I found it very hard to criticize. It was just very niggly, nitpicky things at the end mm. of the day. Right. I, I think that Ghostbusters is a great example to compare Batman to because Ghostbusters, you know, like many other movie adaptations, um, have you know has the characters, has the settings, has the voice actors. It's just missing that spark that Batman had. Like right. Batman, pretty much covered everything about the Batman universe that people care about. And if it wasn't covered in-depthly, it was covered with a, a file or an audio clip or something. Everything that you love about Batman was in that game, and they put you in that character's shoes so well that I don't see any future Batman series that's not helmed by Rocksteady doing it as well as this game did. Well, I think, I think and, there's something beyond you know just saying you know for Batman lovers as there, because there's some really clever cool mm. stuff that Rocksteady do that you you know regardless of whether you like Batman or not like I, sure. I, the Scarecrow stuff it, it was a bit overused in the end but that was really good you know it's kind of like a, <laughs> like, like the Titus Ring guy said it was this Eternal Darkness type sort of mind right. fuck mm. which really really impressed me and I, I thought like I wasn't expecting something like that from this game but sure. it, but it was there and it's brilliant and there's lots of little things like that these 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 uh, design touches which you just have to sit back and go wow someone really obviously loves what they're doing in this game loves make love making this game yeah absolutely it was a game that i i, I never saw coming because I, I knew it was going to have good writing with paul dini involved and they had the the cast of the animated series but i still thought it was just going to be you know splinter cell and arkham or you know with some brawling and it. it just didn't you know i had a lot of reason to be skeptical i think a lot of people were but man, that game was just lightning in a bottle. Like it, it really got what it's like to be Batman. And I like the scope of the game. How it's it's quite small, and mm. it it basically takes place in real time. Like it took took me about probably eleven, twelve hours to beat, and takes place over the course of one night. So you know, in a lot of games, if you look at the structure of a movie, they they often take place over the span of you know several days and take place in ninety minutes. And whereas games usually have just a little bit of story, but are very stretched out. Whereas in this game, it, it, it did such a good job with that time management. It never felt like I was, it was padding out its story to make me fight goons and, right. you know, have a game to play. Conversely, it, it, you know, never felt like there was just too much story and not enough gameplay. It just, it felt very fluid how mm. Batman goes through this one night of his life. And, you know, I there's not a whole lot I could say that hasn't been echoed everywhere else on the internet. But, yeah, they they really got what it's what it's like to to be Batman. And, like, I mean, I like how he's a detective. Um, he, he, I mean, fighting, like, there's one minor complaint I think that uh, there might have been a little bit too much brawling, but not that much. I mean, I like right. how Batman is crafty in how he takes mm. his opponents down and how he has to follow clues. And even though they're not really that much that, that puzzly, you just kind of follow a trail. It feels like something Batman would do using his mm. technology and his intuition. So, yeah, it was a great Batman simulation. <laughs> uh, I, what I will briefly say is that it's just one important aspect, which I think is maybe we didn't cover is that the world, you know, that this, this asylum, uh, we, we called the episode bat shock, uh, our big rotation mm. episode that covered it because there's such a, an obvious comparison to rapture, uh, in Arkham asylum. And, you know, looking back in the games that I played, you know, after Batman, there's still not 
even like Venice Assassin's Creed, there's not a place I've enjoyed being in more than Arkham Asylum. And it's not like I'm enjoying it because it's kind of, it's actually kind of genuinely kind of chilling at times, that, that, that place. And it's like, mm. it's, it's great to explore what's happened in each ward, where, what, what each, uh, where each, uh, you know, these villains lies and what's gone on and what they've been doing and what the joke is up to. And, Okay, yes, I, I, listening to myself, I'm sounding like this Batman fan who's just raving about, you know, getting to discover this Batman world. But I just, I, I really, really think Arkham Asylum is one of the, the best sort of locations for a game we've seen in, in a while. So, yeah. is everyone here a Batman fan? Just to throw that question out there. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> See, I'm actually not so much of a Batman I'm not really a comic book fan at all, but Batman would be near the top, and I, I kind of love Batman. Also, I went in thinking that it might have been a candidate for overrated game of the year, and I was actually going through a whole bunch of games, and I ended up playing Batman. I was like, this is not an overrated game. This is great. <laughs> it reminded me a lot of uh, Metroid, actually, mm. the way that you go through and you earn new games just to reach places that you had seen but you couldn't get to and I don't know, the the Arkham Asylum just unfolds in such a, a good way I, Well, I, I was difficult for me to comment because I've only really played a couple of hours before my wife stole it and I didn't get it back <laughs> So, um, but I am a huge Batman fan um, the only thing I would say and I, I think it's I'm in the same position as, uh, as, G- as uh, Jeff in the the other game we're going to talk about, I played before Batman. And so I found some of the controls of Batman a little bit a little bit clunky, a little bit slow and cumbersome um, compared to the other game we're going to talk about. But I think if I give it... It's because I played it directly afterwards. If I give it three or four months, which it's going to be by the time I get my game back, <laughs> that, that um, I'll, I'll appreciate it a lot more. But... Um, what I did play, I thought was top notch, and uh, the thing I took away from it was the the quality of the finished product was mm. just so good. And nobody remembers the fact that that game was delayed. And mm. I think that's a testament to just how good the game was. Absolutely. Uh, I don't really think many people expected it to be as good as it was. Yet it kind of came out of nowhere and became this gigantic title, as well as the final title from this gigantic podcast that we've been doing, Modern Warfare Two die. It's the only game to make all five of our lists today um, and I will ask you, Zan, to talk about it because we did a podcast about Uncharted 2 once. We did, yeah. yeah we just, did. Me, you, think, and Jeff. Yeah, yeah, actually, Eddie's the only one here who, who hasn't talked about it. Yeah, we should yeah. maybe actually, yeah. it to him. Go for it. Eddie and Zotto, what do you think about Uncharted 2? Uncharted 2. I think Uncharted 2 is probably one of the best directed video game experiences I've ever taken part in. Um, I think everything about that game plays out wonderfully from from the perspective of the developers and the way that they orchestrate every single action sequence, set piece, area, conversation, everything. is It's just perfectly presented. Um, I wouldn't say it has the best gameplay, and it does have some issues with like the save system, which I think Jeff will echo. I think I spoke to you about that. Uh, uh, I don't remember. No, that wasn't actually. that wasn't you. That was somebody. I don't know. Uh, maybe refresh my memory. It, it could have about been. it leaving you if you died. It leaves you in the middle of a uh, a bad situation. 
That wasn't me. Cut that out. (laughs) (laughs) Don't don't cut it out, because I experienced that as well. It did did do that, yeah. It kind of left you... Well, certainly for me, there was one bit where I probably had to do it about 30 or 40 times with hardly any health, because the checkpoint just kept putting you back in the same place with no health. Mm. But otherwise, it... it, um... It's a huge step up cinematically from most anything else. I really liked Eddie's description of the best directed game this year mm. because uh, I, I, that's exactly where I came from. You know, when when you and I talked about it, Joe, my obvious sort of, I was obviously a bit less infused about it than you because right. I, I, I come from where Eddie's saying, you know, uh, the, the, the gameplay, especially the platforming, there's not much to write home about. Uh, uh, if you're going to get focused on the controls and what you're actually doing, but if you t- if you take the time to just look around and not really care about what you're doing, my god, it's a breathtaking game. At times, I'm just staggered by what I'm looking at in that game, like the 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 ice cave level, the 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 the, the landscape on the on the mountain. Oh my god, the city that where you where you climbing across the signs and then that uh, that 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 uh, aircraft takes you know starts taking you out just. Unbelievable visuals, unbelievable sound, unbelievable atmosphere, and and these real cinematic moments, like Eddie was saying. And uh, in terms of when we we use that evil word polish to describe video games, <laughs> uh, you know, Uncharted Two is the most deserving of that word. It is easily the most polished video game I've ever played. It's got a good layer of shellac on it. Yes. <laughs> it's funny. I remember uh, during E3 during the the Sony press conference, I had the pleasure of sitting next to Mr. Eddie Inzato, and after that trailer aired, he was leaned over and whispered in my ear and went, game of the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. I remember that. That and Last Guardian got me all excited. Yeah, that's what I was excited about, but that's not until next year, hopefully. What did you guys think about the multiplayer? I, I think, if I remember, you guys were kind of, were kind of su- pleasantly surprised about it on on the podcast. I enjoyed it. Um, I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's very simplistic, but the, the combat works. I think the, the levels work. I think the third-person uh, platforming elements that they mixed in, you can kind of jump over things, climb stuff. That kind of adds a lot to the traditional third-person shooting, uh, you know, which I guess would be reminiscent of the old SOCOM games if you, you know, made those games a lot faster. Um, the only problem with uh, Uncharted 2 is that Modern Warfare 2 came out, and all of my friends moved over to that. So right. now I don't have anyone to play Uncharted 2 with. See, I would say that Uncharted 2 didn't need the multiplayer at all, and I would never expect a game like that to even include multiplayer, because I don't think the basic design is is optimal for a multiplayer experience. And when I played, it was a little, um, I don't know, it was rough around the edges, I thought. It well, wasn't as smooth as some other multiplayer games. I think it's telling that I have I haven't even played the multiplayer and it was still my top three games of the year. So Right, yeah, see that's the other thing it. is that it doesn't need it. The single player is good yeah. enough that you could either play the multiplayer or not. I think I think we said that on the show before. Uh, Sony rightly sees see this as a system seller and a system seller needs to have multiplayer. So uh mm-hmm. yep. you know that that's why it's there. And for what it is, it's much better than I thought it was gonna be. So uh you know, I, 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 as much as it's not needed, there are people playing it. Uh, maybe not lots of lots of people. It's not going to 
rival Modern Warfare 2 or Left 4 Dead 2, but, uh, well, you know, no, no big deal. I mean, like, it's, not a, it's certainly not something to cite against the game. I mean, we've talked about Uncharted a lot at length before, so I don't have that much to add, but earlier I said there was one reason I would have gone with Uncharted 2 over Batman, and the reason for that is the ending. Batman had a very weak ending in my mind. The st- overall story is good, but just the last boss and the cutscene afterwards really ended on a weak note. Whereas Uncharted 2, the final the final five minutes of cutscenes or whatever after you beat the game is wonderful. Like the last exchange of dialogue before the end credits is one of the best <laughs> I've seen in the game. Mm. And for that reason alone, that's why it you know, it usurped Batman as as far as uh you know it, very directed single player action adventure goes. I I just have one uh, thing to add, which is something we did discuss quite a lot on the on the special podcast we did on Charted. But uh, I think Batman probably has quite a lot in common as well. It's that the, the the top two games we've picked out here are one and and ones that we've we've mentioned the you know the quality of direction or quality of the writing or the environment which is set is the two thing that the thing they have in common is that the the story is driven through character. It's not. Right. It's not. You know. It's not something like Gears of War, where you know the characters are kind of squeezed into a made. You know, this kind of kludgy story. Both Batman, from what I've played and from what I've heard and read, and um, Uncharted Two, which you know we've all experienced, everything is driven around those central characters. They are, in many ways, the story is about them, not about what happens in the game. And um, it's just interesting that. If you were to talk about movies or books or other forms of media, you would also be drawn to those particular styles of, of media as well. The the you know the films that critically do the best tend to be character-driven films. The books that tend to do the, the best are ones that where where again character is the central focus. And I I just think it's interesting that in this this fairly modern medium, that character is now becoming as important, if not more important, than in the story or the gameplay now. You know, Sony are quite aware that they have a, a very... I don't want to use the word marketable because it undermines him, but there is there is something very marketable about Nathan Drake. And, mm. uh, I, you know, we're going to see a lot more Uncharted, and I don't think they're going to stray very far from the formula they've they've found in this one. Well, honestly, if we could just see more games take that example and build a likable character that doesn't talk like this the whole time, I think that we'd actually have much more enjoyable games out there. Than, on a well, whole. one thing to say, to say about Drake, you know, he, for all the people saying he's a, uh, you know, he's not your typical action hero, he is kind of your typical action hero. Sure. <laughs> he is. But what I would say in, in Uncharted's defense is more of an ensemble, because although right. obviously mm-hmm. you play as him, he's the protagonist. The other characters in that game are just as important, if not more important, many points in the game right. in terms of telling the story and, and describe, you know, and, and, and getting a feeling as being Drake in the game, you know, actually appreciating what he's going through. Um, that's something which makes it stand out from the crowd. It really does. And it's the little details like, you know, the things in his notebook, which you, and you get this kind of little insight into mm. the playfulness of his personality that he's, you know, done these stupid scrawlings or uh, mm. said, you know, made these weird comments about this guy he's met. Um, it's it's that kind of stuff, which you can only do in games. So that that's another reason why Uncharted 2 deserves a lot of credit. Absolutely. All right, we've talked about 17 games at length today. Zelda, Spirit Tracks, Rhythm Paradise, Shadow Complex, The Ballad of Gay Tony, Battlefield 1943, Big Bit Trip Beat, Borderlands, Dirt 2, DJ Hero, Demon Souls, Silent Hill, Left 4 Dead 2, Assassin's Creed 2, 
Brutal Legend, Street Fighter 4, Batman Arkham Asylum, and Uncharted 2. I would now like to go around the pod, and everyone will tell us their number one pick for 2009. If we have an overwhelming majority, that game will be crowned the Big Red Potion Game of the Year of 2009. Woo! Um, Zan, what's your game? Uh, by some distance, Uncharted 2, Among G- Thieves. Jeff? Um... If we're talking about best game, probably Uncharted, but my favorite, I'm still going to say Zelda. Okay, Zelda it is. Eddie? I have to stick with Assassin's Creed 2. Oh, God. Sinan? <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 I would pick Street Fighter 4 as my own personal game, but if you're talking about game of the year, I have to, I have to ditch the subjectiveness and, and, and go with Uncharted 2. It's not my personal one, but it deserves it. So uh, no, stick to your guns, man. <laughs> yeah, if you if yeah. it's your favorite game of two thousand nine, uh, stick with it. You. I just yeah. want to charge it to. I just want to make sure Assassin's Creed Two doesn't get tied for first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know Joe's going to vote vote for a certain game, so I'll go Street Fighter Four then. And I will go Uncharted Two. Which and it's a make. deserving winner because we all voted for it. Yeah, it's the only game to make it and on all five of our lists. And Uncharted Two is officially the Big Red Potion Game of the Year of two thousand nine. Yay! And after this lengthy podcast, I think it's about time that we wrap it up. I would like to thank all the guests for sitting through this. The clock on our end says two hours and 23 minutes at this point, so um, I'm not sure how long it'll be when it makes to your ears, but we'll see. Um, So let's do some quick plugs and get out of here. Eddie, tell us about GamerNode and the Versus Node podcast. Gamerno.com, news, reviews, previews, interviews, all that good stuff you expect from a video game website written by some great guys um, and gals. We have the Versus Node podcast, which takes, I like how Sinan um, described it, a natural approach to our topics, where we, we range from very serious to very silly, uh, usually about one particular thing each uh, recording. Um we're going to have a Game of the Year segment. Actually, no, we're going to have a uh, feature article uh, with a number of categories. It's the Nodi Awards. So look out for that coming this week. Uh, we're in the final stages of putting that together. Sweet. That's All it. right. Um, this is Anteriad. Tell us about the Ninja Fat Pigeons. Um, we're just... Basically, a lot of drunk gamers. So I'm not sure what there is to say about us, really. We kind of do a monthly podcast as a bit of a, a bit of a joke and, and a and a chance to sort of just talk about some of the stuff we've been playing as a, as, a, as a group because uh, obviously a lot, a lot of us play together. Um, the, the other plug I'd, I'd like to give is to uh, the gamer scene, who I also do a, mm-hmm. a monthly podcast for, one called Replay, where we play games from two years ago or more. Um, and we play a different game each month. And next month, we're actually replaying Mass Effect just in time Ooh. for Mass Effect 2. Awesome. Uh, although you have to play it as a douchebag, so that's the kind of thing <laughs> on that. So yes. it'd be interesting to see yeah, how people think of that. But uh, that's been a really interesting experience, actually. Um, we've been doing that for about 10 months now, and actually going back and playing games from two years ago, even games you've played before, it's interesting to see how well they stand up in such a short period of time. Um, and, and to give you a synopsis of, of the year, Bioshock stood up really well. Um, Marvel Ultimate Alliance didn't, 
So mm. there's just two examples. It's just an <laughs> interesting thing to, to go back and do. Um, so yeah, a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, do listen to those. Uh, once a month uh, on thegamerscene.com. Great. I would I would just like to add a plug-in for, for that, because uh, I was privileged enough to be on the episode when you, we all discussed uh, Crackdown. And for me, like it was it was great for, for doing that, because I, I was coming to the game new. And I think that's another great aspect of the replay show, coming to old games new. Uh, and, you know, get, getting to experience uh, games which you might not think to, to experience. You might not remember that they, they were released. And it was it was really interesting playing Crackdown uh, sort of quite a few years later that it was released. And uh, it's a really, it's a really really great idea. And, uh, Absolutely. I, you know, check it out, thegamerscene.com and ninjafatpigeons.co.uk, I think that's right. That's right, yep. All right, rocking. Mr. Matulef, what have you been up to aside from being sick? Um, not a whole lot recently. Um, <laughs> yeah, I take him down with all this other week, but I'm, I'm getting better, actually. I'm, I'm, feeling, I'm fine right now. So, awesome. Um, yeah, I'm still writing for, for the game reviews for, you know, since I've been my features editor there, and yeah, Joe's previous editor. Um, I still do some freelance work for G4. It's been kind of a slow... Slow few weeks uh, at the end of the year. They're just busy with their, you know, game of the year awards and that sort of thing. So hopefully, I'll I'll get some more assignments come January. Right. So you know, keep keep checking the game reviews in G four. I'll have some stuff up soon. And another quick plug for challenging conventions, which is your biweekly, which is every other week. Uh, yes, every other week. Okay. Is that called biweekly or is that it, it's it's, it's fortnightly it's, over here? It's biweekly in America. Right. Okay. So, I just wanted to make sure it wasn't twice a week because that would be confusing. Absolutely. Um, and then yeah, for the best yeah. name blog as well, we need a, uh, the best name blog in, oh, in the yes. We need a plug. <laughs> oh yeah, for jumpingmysdash.com. Yes. Although, <laughs> admittedly, I haven't been updating it that much recently. I've mostly you need. Just been, uh, yeah, I've thought about maybe putting my, my favorite games of the year on there or something. Lately, it's just kind of been links to to whatever else I've been writing. But if you go there, you'll, you'll see what else I'm up to. You need to make a jumping mustache business card, and I, I do, need to actually. get one. It needs actually to be animated good. somehow. You need yes, to actually have the mustache just have actually feet. jumping. Actually have hair on it, just sticking out of the car. That you can get. <laughs> that would be actually, Joe, I got a, a little gift for you come, come next E3. Yes. Oh, God. Card, so. nice. That's disturbing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that's about it. Sinan, what do you got to say? Anything? I've got lots to say this week, as oh, opposed man, to last okay. week. <laughs> I, I just wanted to thank our free guests today because... Um, you know, other listeners of the show will recognize them as the, the free guys we have on most of the time, and they've always been uh, really, really enthusiastic and and uh, uh, just generally patient with how much we screw up trying to get the show organized. And uh, they're free, free great guys, and I've really enjoyed podcasting with all of them. So thank you, guys. Thank you, Jeff. Thank Absolutely. you, Joe. Thank you, Eddie. Thank you very much. Thank yeah. you guys. Yeah, thank you for uh, having us you. and putting up with our, our I ramblings. <laughs> I meant to say, Zan, not Joe. I've, I've not enjoyed podcasting with hey. Joe. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'll come back to you, Joe. Uh, just, just to say uh, to our listeners uh, and to anyone who's really been su- su- supporting the show throughout the year, we're still finding off the... I know that we've been doing this for a year, but we're still getting used to it. We're still kind of learning every week. And uh, But the, the most important thing is that we're really, really enjoying it, and uh, your support's a big part of that. So thank you for anyone who's said nice stuff about the show or even just been you know, there to give us advice, any criticism. Thank you so much. And we'll, we'll try hard to produce uh, as good a show as possible in 2010. And lastly, you know, this last show of the year, so I should say thank you so much to Joe for being a fantastic co-host and a, and a really good friend. I've really enjoyed doing this podcast with you this year. It's been like one of my, my favorite things I've done 
this year ever. It's just been a really, really fun experience, and uh, it's been great to do it with such a fantastic guy. So thank you so much, Joe. And I to you, sir. It's been a pleasure and an honor, and I've enjoyed every single moment of it. And I look forward to another year of it in 2010 until you kick my ass out. <laughs> and just one... last end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> and uh, one other quick plug for BigRedPotion.com. we got a couple of cool things going up there. We, of course, have last week's Big Most Overrated Games podcast that went up and uh, I'm sure is going to be wonderful uh, because we haven't actually heard it yet myself. Um, <laughs> and another and thank you to everyone involved in that as well. That yes, was, lots of podcasts. So Very much so. Thank you. Uh, there's reviews of The Salvatore and Silent Hill Shattered Memories up on BigRedPotion.com and a couple more things coming up in the near future. And to everyone out there, happy 2010. Because Best that's wishes. something that we should say. Um, and I hope everyone has a wonderful gaming year and is still enjoying playing the Christmas presents that they got. Because those are fun. And mine is Assassin's Creed 2 and Zan as well. So I'm sure we're both looking forward to getting to that. Oh, yes. And Hanukkah presents. My girlfriend told me to remind everyone that Hanukkah must also be enjoyed Ooh. by everybody. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. That's okay. Awesome. I will end this sucker now. Thank you all for coming on. Thank you all for listening, and thank you to all the new fans that we got in 2009, and I hope that you all be around for our Big Red Potion 2010 kickoff, which will be... God knows when. when. (laughs) Thank you, folks. Good night. Good night.